Experience the winners, the losers, the dumb shits, the thrill of victory, and the agony of the Miz. All that and more today as we bring you up to date through night one of the ongoing WrestleMania season. And joining me, Hawaiian Brian, the podcasting lion, the king of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network, Mr. Co-host to you, the best co-host this side of Snoop Diggity Dog. The great Brian Last, everybody. Aloha, Jim. A pleasure to be here once again. I think that's the nicest thing you've ever said about Snoop Dogg on the show. And, of course, I'm coming to you live from the WrestleMania weekend bagel buffet. Oh, you have the entire buffet spread out. You got the plain bagels. You got the uh, the, the poppy seed bagels. You got the everything bagels. What uh, what else comes on bagels? Stacy eats bagels. I see him in passing. Actually, we only did a dozen bagels, or 13, a baker's dozen, and... Six were plain for the kids, and the other ones were whole wheat everything for me and Suzanne. So you give the kids just the plain stale bread, and then you eat whole wheat stale bread, which would make it even drier and chewier. It's not stale in any sense of the word, and... It's just chewy and thick, heavy. It's a heaviness on your stomach. I have a feeling you've never had a good bagel in your life. It sounds like you've had just shitty bagels. I don't bagels. know that there ever has been a good bagel. There has <laughs> like You don't know that because you've never had one. Well, and I haven't seen one, so how do I know they're around? Where have you the had ones bagels? That, the ones that I've sampled when I've been hungry and at some goddamn hotel restaurant restaurant breakfast or in front of me or a, a couple of times That's... i've chewed on one of stacy's <laughs> and she gets all the designer bagels that was a great answer uncle dave i still don't understand where you were going where you had a bagel last what bagel it was was it plain? i haven't even had an entire bagel i've tried various bagels with what with butter with cream cheese well whatever the fuck happened to be there usually butter she does the cream cheese. So you've never had a toasted bagel with butter? No, she toasts them. Who's she? And makes them even harder. She's Stacy? Yes. So she gets bagels actively? She loves bagels. Okay. You're just difficult She sometimes. gets all the designer bagels and everything, all of the imported bagels from Bagelivia, wherever they fucking come from. The whole wheat bagels end up, to me, tasting better than the regular wheat bagels. Well, I'm on the whole wheat bread now to begin with because I'm trying to do low carb and more more fiber in my diet, or is it Faber? And so, fiber. Right, I, well, whichever. And I'm not a big fan of the whole wheat thing, the whole whole wheat thing, because I like my soft, delicious white bunny bread with mayo. 
Well, maybe a little chewy granola bar, maybe a little juice box with that. Oh, fuck's sake. How about a Sprite Zero and some biscuits and jelly? <laughs> some biscuits and jelly. Can you please pass the jelly? I wish I could have passed on the past couple of days. I'm I'm beleaguered and woebegone, and not because of WrestleMania, which I'm going to say a number of good things about, but because of the 48 hours it took me to get there. Again, for the people keeping track, if this is not a rerun of last week's program, Friday, severe thunderstorms overnight, high winds, rain coming down in buckets and sheets, power outages, severe warnings, potential spin-ups, the entire weather crew at WDRB Television headed by my boy Mark Weinberg. Boy, he's the He's a weather nerd. If you need to know something about the weather, this motherfucker will tell you. But they're all on the air broadcasting, all the, the weather radar. Then, of course, I was ready to go to sleep about 9 o'clock Friday night, as usual, yawning my little head off after a hard day's work, wanting to put my head on the pillow. But no, I got to sit up and watch the cataclysm unfold, make sure that we're not all blown away in our sleep. That's my job as the king of the castle here. I got the flashlight in my hand, watching the weather on the, on the television. Then they announce as it's coming through, and boy, you ought to hear this wind again. They announced uh, the, the Kroger's in the shopping center about two miles north of me as the crow might fly, because there ain't no direct road, so you'd have to fly. They say we're getting a report of green lightning. Have you ever seen green lightning, Brian? Never even heard of it before, no. Well, that's because there's no such thing. They were getting a report of green lightning. Actually, it was Transformers blowing. <laughs> that's, that's what they said. So there is no green lightning, ladies and gentlemen. Don't worry about that. It's just the Transformers blowing up. And here's the power adage, man. And now the people just mere feet from me walking distance from north of me is or, or without power thousands of them what they're saying and my lights are blinking i'm ah oh, shit but it stayed on and about three o'clock in the morning or so they go back to regular programming which by the way they went right into a rerun of the 11 o'clock news where the headline story was severe weather coming take cover so now they've wore the world's motherfuckers they've they wait just happened god damn it's coming again so I go to sleep with my, my fitful little sleep, and I wake up, of course. I'm always up 6, 6.30, 7 o'clock. But now I don't wake up till 8 o'clock, and it's broad daylight, and I startle myself awake. And now here the second part of this fucking weather fiasco is coming because now that the thunderstorms have blown through, they've been forecasting this, another high wind alert. And wind gusts, well, it's sunny and bright, 50 to 60 miles an hour. This is like the 15th wet high wind warning that we have had in Louisville since December, where we used to have like maybe one or two a year. Chicago, the windy city, has had four of them, I think they said. So now, again, same things happened last weekend, same thing happened a few weeks ago when I ended up with a city bus-sized fucking tree on my fence. The wind is blowing. You're looking at it's howling and gusting and shit that ain't nailed down or set aside in the right place is blowing across people's yards. And the trees are bending 
as far as you think they might bend. And so I'm shaking like a dog shitting peach seeds. What's coming at me next? I don't go anywhere or do anything dangerous anymore. So now disaster is coming to visit me at my home every week. So I think I'll watch SmackDown to take my mind off this. So I watch SmackDown. And then I'm going to watch the, the Hall of Fame ceremony, which, Brian, as you know, is not on regular television. It was on the Peacock. For people who wanted to see the Hall of Fame, they had to tune in to Peacock. So I've explained this, but for the younger and newer listeners, every television now that I have in the house, well, no, it, mine in the office and and the, the TV room where my domains are televisions in and especially the TV room I have the cable box with the proper remote to watch TV the way God intended it plugged into a fucking wall right but now Stacy the the bedroom TV and the new TV and the new remodel they're the smart TVs so at least I can go up in the bedroom and lay down in bed on my Helix mattress and be comfortable and watch the Hall of Fame because it's a smart TV. So I go up there and I hit the button for Peacock and it says, cannot play Peacock, check network connection. Apparently the TV's not as smart as it's supposed to be. It may have flunked some of its courses. Was it hooked up to the internet? Well, it always has been before when you hit the button that says Peacock. I know Stacy put it all, all that on there anyway. So she's, well, you want me to look at it? I said, no, God damn it. Because as we know, there's no on-screen fast forward on Peacock. And you combine that with the fact that the smart TV only has a remote with four buttons on it. And you either got to know how to do everything or it wants you to do everything on the fucking screen, which... Goddamn is so much work, it kind of negates the idea of having a remote control to save you work. But if you watch on, a, if you watch on Peacock and you press pause and you build up a little bit of a flow, you can fast forward or rewind. You can, yes, and you can, but you can't see where you're going. On this fucking smart TV remote I got, it's just got a button that says forward, and then on the screen, the counter is spinning and you got to kind of guess where to, where to hit play again. And then you've gone too far. It's a goddamn mess, which wasn't bad for the, it wouldn't be bad for the hall of fame, but when you're trying to skip the five and 10 minute entrances and other things on a regular show, it's a pain in the ass. Nevertheless, I come up here in the office and watch the hall of fame on the computer because the mouse is more precise. And then, as we mentioned, I was not looking forward to the first night of WrestleMania to begin with because you can't get it on pay-per-view here in Louisville, Kentucky. WrestleMania, the, the, the spectacle that made the pay-per-view business not available because of Roy Jones fucking Jr. So I had to watch night one on the cock too. And that pisses me off. I want WrestleMania on real goddamn television, like it was supposed to be. Does Vince need to come back and and strong arm the cable companies again like he did to 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 ban Crockett? He doesn't have the leverage. 
he decided to go put his pay-per-views behind a paywall. Well, I don't care if he puts them behind a glory hole. I just wanted the opportunity, the chance, the, the, he's always big about giving opportunities. Well, I want the opportunity to see WrestleMania on cable television where it's supposed to be instead of goddamn the peacock. You're looking for a watching opportunity. I'm looking for a watching opportunity. And I didn't get it here because of Roy Jones fucking Jr. and his boxing match with Cousin Drew Plip. I don't remember How old, what Roy Jones has to be in his mid-50s. He was a big boxing star years ago. I thought he retired. Well, this it's Jr. No, same guy. Well, could this one be the third? Yeah, he's 54 years old. Who well, did he this? fight last night? Roy Jones Jr., 54, outpointed by former UFC fighter with no boxing experience. What was this? Whatever promotion it was, they should really pat their PR person on the back. The name of it isn't anywhere in here. Well, that's the event that was on pay-per-view um, from Spectrum Cable here. I'm not, I'm not maligning all cable television, but we know Spectrum sucks. The concept of cable is sound, but that's what we, we got to see last night instead of WrestleMania. The, the showcase of the Immortals was a 54-year-old fucking boxer getting outpointed by a guy that's never boxed before. So there you have it. WrestleMania 39 wasn't seen in Louisville night one, so instead they can get Gamebred Boxing 4 from Milwaukee. Did you say gangbang boxing four? That what is not what say? I said. No, it is not. I said game bread boxing four from Milwaukee. Game bread. Is that like farm raised and, you know, ocean harvested game bread or what are they? Is it a cockfighting organization? Game hens? Cornish, Cornish game hens with blades on their fucking feet. Now there's a pay-per-view <laughs> event for you. Cornish game hens with fucking gig, gigs on the uh, yeah, okay. blades on their fucking feet. What are you going to call and it? You call it the, the Cornish game gangbang. I don't, I'm, I'm just, I'm spitballing here. You sure are. <laughs> well, if, if they're looking for things to show on pay-per-view instead of WrestleMania, I'm trying to think of something more exciting than, than old Roy. Anyway, uh, speaking of, before we have a few corrections and a couple of shout outs and everything, but real quickly, the, what put me in a happy mood this week until the weather turned sour, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but many of the audience would be upset if I was remiss in mentioning the fucking pig got indicted last week. Hopefully the first of many let the floodgates open. Of course, I you know, I would... Much rather it be a good, juicy, you know, a felony. Like, but the, I mean, the guy's guilty of a number of things. It's a, hopefully all of these arrest warrants will continue to come down now that they've broken the glass ceiling, as they say, and they've gotten it over with. Uh, but whether he's guilty of, because we know he is, income tax fraud, he's probably the all-time champion at that or whether it's 
Uh, I wish lying was a crime when it gets people killed or injured or families destroyed or whatever, like when he lied about COVID and caused a bunch of people to die and families to be disrupted, or when he lied about losing the election and has, you know, pretty much ruined the fucking country forevermore because people are stupid enough to believe him. But we could go with, he's been accused credibly of a number of sexual assaults. He's an admitted pussy grabber. Uh, so whether it's the IRS that wants him or fucking, uh, they want him for sexual assault or they want him for fucking, or the impeachments, if the Republicans had any balls, he was guilty of both of those and those were felonies. Just do the world a service. And if the United States as a whole is not smart enough to protect the planet from this fucking piece of shit, then good, honest, hardworking prosecutors slap him with some kind of felony, stick him behind bars, or at least make sure he can't run again. The world will be safe. And then we can go about the business of doing other stupid things with stupid people. But it's nice to see that things are working out, hopefully, in time to save the world in 2024. We, we got to make sure that there's enough left of the world after 2024 for MJF to cash in on that bidding war. Anyway, um, we've got a, I don't know if it's a correction, it's an opposing viewpoint, a denial, if you will. We, we said, uh, just on the last program we did that, that's yours, the drive-thru, right, Brian? The very popular drive-thru, yes. The very popular and, and, and highly talented. Um, I've been a fan of yours for many years. And we had read a letter from somebody who attended a comic convention in Richmond, uh, I assume Virginia, they said Richmond, and said Britt Baker made this guy get out of her autograph line because he was wearing a cornet face shirt. And he couldn't believe it, said none of the other people did that. And he named off some names. And I was, well, what do you, isn't that a fine how do you do, as Aunt Lola used to say. But now that we said that, we read that email from the uh, offended fanfestee. Somebody got on Twitter, of course, because, you know, why wouldn't they? And then, Britt Baker, how dare you? Did you do this? And she said, no, I didn't, and I would never. And she denied that the incident happened. And now they're, the, the uh, aspersions have been cast in the other direction back on who's he, what's he, that I don't have the email still in front of me because there was a previous show, but whatever the guy's name was, did he make this up trying to get some attention? And so there, if, if indeed this incident did not happen, then not only do we send our apologies to Britt Baker, but also, I don't think it's a cult of Cornette member line, Brian. I think it's an infiltrator. I think it's a it's some kind of some kind of guerrilla warfare tactic on the part of some of these other wrestling fans like the cosplayers, the buckaroos, that type of group that wants to cast aspersions on the cult and make us look bad and make our fans look bad, like that they're not truth-tellers, that they are telling untruths, those two youths. So uh, besides apologizing... <laughs> In this instance, to 
to Miss Britt Baker over there, DMD. And hopefully we didn't hurt her medical practice, you know, by, by <laughs> you know, casting such an aspersion like that. Uh, God forbid. God forbid. But I think what we need to do is now we need to call, because these fan fests are all over the place. And we'll, we'll talk about another fan fest where there was some activity going on this weekend. And a lot of things come out of these fan fests as allegations are made, accusations, and, 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 and you know, people are, are accused of things, and then they have rebuttals and opposing viewpoints, and there's more allegations and more repercussions. I think we need to have official, uniformed, Cult of Cornet Fan Fest watchers to watch to go to the watchers to just go and observe to make sure that everything's on the up and up to make sure that if if there's votes to be counted, well, they'll make sure that they're observing the vote counting, or if there's people standing in line that are acting up, or the talent themselves that 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 are appearing or acting up. I think the official. Uniformed cult of Cornet fan fest watchers should be there to keep everybody in line and everybody straight, don't you? And that way we'd get the true, true dirt out of all of this. You know, it sounded preposterous at the beginning, but the more you talk about it, the more I think it actually is an interesting idea. Well, yeah, you know, the, the Cornet face shirt could be the official uniform, and that way, official cult of Cornet fan fest watchers could just go to these fan fests and stand in out of four corners of the room and maybe a couple in the middle, watch the entrances, <laughs> watch the exits, and have notepads. Maybe you can get them berets. Maybe you can get maybe berets. Get berets and sashes. Not sashes. Who said that? Sashes. Sashes. That's, that's a jaunty <laughs> the thing you wear around you tied around like Errol Flynn and fucking Captain Blood. <laughs> These are going to be our people, our representatives are going to be wearing yes. berets and sashes. Yes, and cornet face t-shirts. I was thinking like a demented guardian angels and you went right to Errol Flynn. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's the difference between me and you. I'm, I think, big and classy. <laughs> and and we'll have these people and they'll be adorned in this, these uniforms and they will be positioned in, in strategic places and they'll keep an eye on everything and make sure everything's flowing properly and nobody's assing off on either side and, and we'll get the straight yeah. scoop and all the reports. And if anything happens, they'll do what any reasonable person will do. They'll run to Twitter and tweet all about it. <laughs> yes. Well, they'll, they'll tweet directly to them. With the, and, and, and here's the thing. Instead of a blue check, they'll have a jaunty red sash next to their name. So you know. The sash is red. Well, it's got to be, doesn't it? What? Well, the cornet face shirt is black. I was thinking the beret well, will yeah, be black. But- well, well, no, no, your accent colors, Brian. The black and and white cornet face shirt and the red beret, little red beret, you, the red and the red the, sash. You can't steal the red beret. I said a demented guardian angels think it'll be a different color. They own red oh, berets, don't they? Was theirs red? I thought they were. I thought they were like magenta. No, they're like red and white. Oh well, they got white on them. Well, see, ours are completely different. Ours are just red. <laughs> All right, well, if we have to change the color, let's do something nobody's... Let's go with green berets, then. Green, green berets and green sash. Nobody's think green got berets, that. I don't think green berets will be good unless uh, you're the wrestler Green Lightning that you mentioned earlier. But no, I wouldn't go with green beret. 
Well, all right, we'll work on this. But the point is, there needs to be... Cornette's Green Berets. Can you imagine? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's just, it's a peacekeeping force. Just trying to keep everybody calm. Should they have whistles? Should we have them armed yes, with whistles? Yes, <laughs> yes. That's the perfect thing, because we're not going to arm these people, because they are... They're a peacekeeping force. We don't want to, but they've got to call attention. So I think whistles or kazoos. What do you think? What if they took one of your like, the noises? Whist- the whistles might be confusing if they're around any, any type of ball game or school sports. What about a kazoo? Well, hold on. Why would they be around any kind of ball game or school sports for a wrestling convention? Well, a lot of these take place in school gyms and facilities like that That's rec true. centers That's there could true. be little toddlers next door roller skating or something and you'd want to make sure that plenty of the cult of cornet official fan fest watchers wearing berets and sashes were around where the kids were to protect them don't worry i'm pretty sure the cops will have their eyes right on those guys as soon as they show up well see, whatever we're town they're in already. Well, as soon as soon as these people appear, the cops are keeping an eye because they know that the Cult of Cornette Fan Fest watchers are where trouble may happen, and we're proactive. Wherever you see a member of the Cornette Checkers, you'll hear the phrase, look at this fucking guy. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Because they'll be saying, be saying, we don't want to mess with him. Look at this fucking guy. He's got the Cornette face shirt on. He's official. I still think the beret needs to be black, but if one of you actually dares wear anything resembling any of this outfit that Jim just described, let us know. I don't think the black beret shows it. What if you got black hair? Now, if you're a nice, attractive blonde, or even a girl, if the sh- you know, you're right. The beret has to match the shirt, I think, and the shirt's black and white. Don't you well, think the- a white beret? That's it. The good guys wear the white hat. But now you've oh. solved it. See, it's like we see, <laughs> you know, what? give and take yes. back and forth, <laughs> spitball until something sticks, white berets and a white sash and, and the cornet face t-shirt is the effect and extra, actually only the people who are not just regular uniformed checkers and fan fest watchers, but who are in, in some type of administration or hierarchy, they also white shoes. White so you shoes. can tell instantly. White shoes, yeah. No one wants to wear those. White hat, white shoes, white face. White, white face? Oh, well, my face on the shirt is in white. Oh. And, and so it stands out. From the, <laughs> the <black. laughs> it's true. He is a racist. What is this? Well, white no, face. Te- technically, the, if, even if you were white, your face would be tan or pink. So, see, there actually are no white people. <laughs> you know that, don't you? I guess so. I never, I never, uh, well, I know I tell about you, Edgar, the... Win- Ed- Edgar and Johnny Winter. Oh, they're white. They're white. But most people, most white people are not white. So they're just pissed off about the shade of dark that they are. Anyway, right, well, uh, thank speaking you, of Baker. which, yeah. huh? Well, thank you, Britt Baker. Yeah, no, no, we were done with Brit, uh, but uh, we apologize. But if you want to be officially uniformed as a member of the cult of Cornette, we do not have the sashes nor the berets 
uh, ready yet, but we do have the Cornette face shirts and so much more at jimcornette.com. And it's this coming Saturday, April the 8th at noon Eastern, the big spring spectacular sale where all the new stuff never before seen goes on sale, including the big breast cancer pink and black action figure, the limited edition. We've got a thousand autographed figures going up and $10 from each Figure purchased goes to the American Cancer Society to fight breast cancer and all kinds of cancer, because fuck cancer. And this figure also obviously comes with a pink and black racket and the headphones and the microphone. And you can see pictures of it right now on the homepage at jimcornette.com. That goes on sale Saturday, April 8th at noon Eastern. And we know how these things go, and I'm going to get bogged down. There are a thousand jump in as quickly as possible. Also, while you're there, the uh, December 2022 issue of Inside the Ropes, the UK's premier wrestling magazine, full color. Well, actually, there's some older pictures that are in black and white, but you can't blame Inside the Ropes. It's a full color magazine. And including me on the cover and a six-page interview inside therewith, uh, did I mention the best-selling issue in the history of the magazine? And those can be personally autographed and available at jimcornette.com. And also, the DVD of the Inside the Ropes sit-down show in London in October of 2016 with myself and Jim Ross, guest-starring Brett the Hitman Hart, hosted by Kenny McIntosh. That DVD has never actually been on sale before as a DVD. And now uh, Cornette's Collectibles and JimCornette.com is the exclusive United States distributor for this fine piece of programming that lasts just, just north of two hours. And all that takes place on Saturday, April the 8th at noon Eastern at JimCornette.com. And then the feather bottoms will go into a state of complete chaos for some time after that sale begins. Brian, once again, um, what do you think, if we go with a white beret and a white sash, should I, should I start stocking those now, or do you think it'd be, I don't want to get necessarily full-fledged into the haberdashery business, how hard is it to find a white beret and white sash these days? I don't know, but we didn't agree on the sash being white. You see, again, you're making a I thought we here. did. No, we said the beret... We finally ended up with that being white, and of course the shirt is black and white. You want white shoes and white gloves or whatever you well, said. Well, you gotta you gotta stick with the scheme, baby. You gotta go with the color scheme. If you then, if you've got a white beret and you got a white face on the shirt, and you got the the you know heads or the more important people, let's say the the majors in this operation, you got them wearing white shoes, then. The sash, pretty much, is the sash going to be yellow? That that just wouldn't make sense. I don't think we could use yellow because of uh, its connotation in classic wrestling. White, black, a combination of the two, two-tone. Well, then, well, then, but your shirt, what color are your pants, then? My pants? I'm not going. Well, no, the pants of the uniform. You got a lot of black on there. You need some brightness to accent that the pants have to be black well yes then your sash doesn't have to have black on it because then you won't be able to see it from the pants but if it's white is it going to not take away from the face on the shirt 
Well, no, because it could, it's below my face. So it could be my neck or my shoulders or my, you know, appendages. All right. Anyway. All right. Let's. When you show up on AEW TV with a sash and a beret, this is all going to make sense to a lot of people. And besides that, then (laughs) I'm going to be carrying a fencing sword with one of those cool little. One of those cool little hand guards around it, too. Well, on God. Will you have your own musketeers? I, you know what? I am, and I'm going to be a pirate. And, oh, and you know, really? you know where a, <laughs> yes, and you know where a pirate keeps his buccaneers? Under his bucking hat. That's where. Anyway, let's get serious here for a second, and then we'll go back into tomfoolery because I've had a couple of emails that I've held on to. And and uh, I wanted to recognize some people. And first of all, our sympathies to Sean Waltman. I saw on Twitter he lost his little puppy, Lula, here this past week. And she just looked adorable. And he was upset about it. And a lot of people were mentioning it. And I just, our sympathies to Sean on that. I can't even imagine. But Yeah, I saw that too. Very sad to see that. Um, and we want to recognize Justin from Winston-Salem. He wrote in, his wife has been diagnosed with some really serious health issues and a rare condition where they've been to the Mayo Clinic, Johns Hopkins, and the Cleveland Clinic. They've made the rounds, and she's only 33. They've got two kids that are two and four. And uh, obviously, without given their last name and so everybody knows their personal business, just as an overall sentiment, we want everybody to wish Justin and his wife well in, in all of that, that they've got going on right now. And also Adam from the United Kingdom, uh, emailed and had a nice uh, couple of questions. And we, we may go into some more of this on the drive through, but he mentioned that his cat Harold passed away at Christmas time with 19 years old. Now I have never I've I've had flirting flirtations with with kitty cats that came in my life unexpectedly and my mom had one for a little while when I didn't live here anymore but I've never had a full-time cat. Do cats live to be 19 usually? Do you know anything about this? Not I'm not a big cat guy. Animal husbandry? I'm not into that either. I'm surprised to hear Mama Cornette got a cat. Were you surprised when she got one? Well, no, because she didn't get it on purpose. It showed up and she needed and needed taken care of. So it just kind of came on the, the, the scene. But she couldn't turn anything with fur or feathers away. Uh, but anyway, but Adam, we're sorry about Harold, but 19 years old. That, uh, I think that's exceptional. And then there's another Adam from Cambridge, England, Uh, who wrote to both of us, Brian, you were included. Today I had to say goodbye to my 15-year-old border collie, Charlie. Charlie was a very special dog. He was so loving and gentle and was a true cuddler. He would cuddle up with me and fall asleep in my arms and would be snoring his little heart out. Adam, we're sorry about Charlie. Um, And also one more, Dalton from Keystone Heights, Florida. This was from, gosh, just about 10 days ago. And he wrote it the same day. He had to say goodbye to his best friend, Daisy. She was 13. And he says she was surrounded by her family, and I held her paw and sang her favorite songs as she slowly fell asleep and crossed the Rainbow Bridge. But she would always perk up 
while Dalton had our podcast playing and would leave the room when an AEW commercial would come on television. So Dalton, we're sorry. She was his best friend. Uh, but anyway, we wanted to recognize those people because I didn't want any more time to pass and they think I've forgotten about them. And I'm a, I'm a softy at heart. That's right. This has been Reggie's Corner. All right. Now, I say, what, well, you know, what did what, I Reg say that was wrong? I said something nice. Reggie has gotten such a level of fame that he never expected after he left our veil of tears. Speaking of a veil of tears, um, lots of people upset. Lots of people pissed off this weekend at one of the fan fests, and you might be able to identify specifically which one. I just know it was one of the WrestleMania weekend festivities from one of the other companies, not the WWE itself. And Rick Steiner got in a world of trouble, and people are just... I saw some of this on Twitter. It's like, my God, they're, they're, he's achieved the rare... I think getting everybody on the same page of fucking trick where everybody's universally saying, fuck you. What do we have any more information on what went on past a tweet that one of the girls at impact wrestling sent out of what he had said to her or done, you know, at the fan fest and, and then the, the fan fest people have asked him not to come back. Well, she tweeted out what happened. It was, I believe, corroborated by an impact referee who also heard it. I uh, don't know for sure if he was with her or just in the background and heard it happen. But there's a second person who heard it. And WrestleCon is the convention. They immediately asked Rick Steiner not to come back for the remainder of the proceedings this weekend and banned him from all future conventions. So do you have the, because I don't want to put words in anybody's mouth. Do you have the tweet that is, what's the girl's name? Giselle, just, how do you say it now? I'm not even trying. I to believe it would be Gis pronounced Giselle because that's the name, but I'd actually never heard of her before all of this. Well, I don't follow Giselle impact. Shaw is her name. Giselle, not Giselle, Giselle. And I have not, honestly, I've, I've not seen Giselle Shaw wrestle. I have seen the name in print on the internet when scanning results of wrestling things, right? So that I have no uh, preconceived notion, never met Giselle Shaw, seen Giselle Shaw wrestle. Apparently, Rick Steiner is at one of the booths and Giselle Shaw is appearing there also, but is walking by from the way I took the, the description in her tweet, which we can't really read because then... You can't use that language anyway, even when reviewing someone else using said language. But apparently heard somebody saying a variety of disparaging things about her based solely on the fact that she was transgender and not, and she, you know, just kept her head down because she didn't, you know, want to engage or whatever. But since somebody said, who was it? As she looked at it, it was Rick Steiner. And the first thing that I said when I heard about it was I said, are you sure they got the right Steiner? Because, I mean, we know Scott has been known to 
go off and say a variety of things. To me, even though Rick was, you know, supposed to be the crazy one when they were partners and as part of his gimmick, he's always been the actual level-headed one in real life. And I've never had any issue with Rick Steiner whatsoever in any angry way or exchange, but at the same time, I've never sat down and asked him his opinions on transgenderism, so I don't know what the fuck he's thinking. And then I, I said, well, is there, could there have been some kind of heat, pre-existing heat? But Because I'm trying to figure out, why would you just burst out with that when some when another a person appearing at a fan fest is walking by, even if you think that? Why would you, why would you be so incensed that you would just burst out in public in front of people with it? Um, could there be pre-existing heat? But then I don't know where they would even have crossed paths. But then I thought, how the fuck does Rick Steiner, who I guarantee you, Rick Steiner pays less attention to fucking wrestling than you and me, Brian. And we didn't know Giselle Shaw. So how did he even know her or her backstory or whatever the fuck. So I'm like, is somebody winding him up? Um, but so that's or perhaps he's I, just an ignorant moron. Well, no, but that, that has what to I'm be an saying, option too. I'm not defending him. I'm trying to figure out, you know, I'm trying to come up with any way to figure out why this was necessary in his mind that he should do this. And see, that's the I thing. You really said, think of one. You said it before. Even, I don't know. Even if you're ignorant enough to think these things, right? Even if you're that yeah. way, what would cause you to just yell them out at someone and then that's think you're going to actually I, get away with that kind of thing? That's that's just stupidity. So ignorance and, and, and stupidity. That's what I'm saying. Did somebody go, hey, look at that fucking person over there. And they said this and did that and whatever the fuck. But still, that's not just why would he instantly be angry and upset about somebody else that he don't know has never met and what they're fucking doing? And see, that's where in transphobia again, I don't know if it's fear of trans people or it, it should be trans hatred. Cause then you hate trans people, right? He wasn't running in fear from her. He was, you know, fucking maligning her. But I don't get the whole idea. You know, if somebody, if Giselle Shaw, for example, Giselle, if somebody gave me a videotape of her wrestling the Invisible Man or fucking doing a dance routine with pockets, then, then I might be able to work up a fucking promo on old Giselle because that's my area, wrestling. I don't hate trans people i hate trans people that are rotten fucking wrestlers i don't hate asian people i hate asian people that are rotten fucking wrestlers i don't hate women or people of nationalities i hate women and people of nationalities that are rotten fucking wrestlers so there's a pattern here but it, if you have either don't know this woman have no issue with her and on a personal basis are appearing in a professional situation where it wasn't even the fucking venue to begin with 
and you just decide to start screaming at her for no fucking reason. I don't know what his fucking explanation is. I don't know why you could get that mad at somebody's decision on what they want to do with their fucking medical situation and their own bodily parts. That's not the issue. I'd yell at her if she'd wrestled the invisible man, but it wouldn't be about her goddamn medical procedures. Well, this just in, this breaking right now, Scott Steiner has announced he's changing his name to Scott Breaker. <laughs> yeah, that... Can you imagine this weekend of all weekends? Poor... Yeah, really. Yeah. Poor Braun. But anyway, no, it, it's it, that's not right. This woman didn't do anything to him for him to be yelling at her and belittling her about nothing to even do with fucking wrestling at a wrestling fucking convention. So, and that's I probably the why. last we're going to really see of Rick Steiner in any of these things. That's the other thing, you know, like Rick Steiner, it was like, he just, for whatever reason, felt the urge to do this. There are repercussions now. So it's, uh, it's kind of shocking. And then apparently and, uh, after this happened is when he went to the hall of fame ceremony. Oh, well, and, and boy, I'm glad they got that in real quick before the everything spread. Yeah. But, uh, you know, again, he's always seemed like the level-headed one. As I said, I have no idea in the world well, what his, you know, pol well, no, seriously, I have no idea what his politics or beliefs are on shit that I haven't talked to him about. There have been some rumors, or at least some people who have said that maybe he's a bit radicalized politically. He's a bit of a what now? Radicalized politically. Oh, Radical. <laughs> like he's on like the local school Boy. board there. And, uh, you know, Boy. apparently some of the things he stands for, are, you know, a bit out there. Okay. All right. Well, you never know. Maybe he and Drake Wirtz could run for president and vice president of the dickheads society. I don't know. But anyway. Um, Sorry, Giselle Shaw had to go through that, though. That's bullshit. Well, you know, and here's the thing, and I know everybody's all fucking upset about this. I, I have said before, I admire the commitment because I've had serious mental anguish wrestling matches with myself in the past on whether to go to the doctor and get a goddamn wart removed, right? I don't like to think about any of that shit. So for someone... To be convinced enough that that's the thing for them to do to go to those links, I'm not going to fucking argue with them. Unless they're rotten fucking wrestlers and wrestling the invisible man. Then look out. And hey, how come everybody said I was transphobic when I said Sonny Kiss looked like a drag queen who got off her day job at the Tropicana? And everybody said, well, that's a fucking slur. You can't call them that. And now the, 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 there's Drag Queen Story Hour, which as long as they can read well, I'm fine with that too. But those are the pro-Drag Queen people. So how did I get fucking maligned like all this? Well, you know, it's very easy to malign you. Well, that's true. And speaking of somebody I know that's misaligned, <laughs> poor Dante Martin. 
Um, I, I'm trying to figure out, I've been since I saw it, what day, day before yesterday. I'm trying to figure out how to explain this in how to verbalize it for people who didn't see what they tried to do and what they ended up doing to poor Dante. And I'm not making fun of him at all. I'm not happy that he's hurt. I don't know what other result they expected with this thing. So it's at the Ring of Honor pay-per-view. So it was, this wasn't even like the fucking one of the top four shows of the weekend in terms of viewership. And it's a ladder match. And who was it? Was it Penthouse that, or was it Felix? I think it was uh, Ray Phoenix. All right. I think so. I didn't watch the match. I didn't watch the pay-per-view, and I didn't watch the match. I only saw, and actually didn't even watch the highlight after a couple of times. The first time it was sent to me, it was kind of blurry. I thought, because I didn't even pay attention to his leg, I thought he hurt his neck. And no. then I watched it the second time, and I saw the blurry leg, and I said, I don't need to watch this a third time. Yeah. Well. So there, it's a ladder match. There's a big ladder in the middle of the ring, but then there is also a ladder propped up in between that ladder and the top rope. And then there are, I don't know whether it was two or was there four where they stacked up on top of one another's tables, tables galore outside on the floor. And the idea that these two fellows were going for was that I don't even know who to say who gives a Canadian destroyer. It's so fucking ridiculous as a movement to begin with that you can't really tell who's giving it and who's taking it. It's, it's if the guy that's being, it's being given to doesn't fucking stand up and jump backwards and the whole thing falls in a hole anyway. So who's given what, but they did a Canadian destroyer with allegedly Dante Martin would have been taking the move off the bridge to ladder out of the ring through the tables. Did I say that about properly? I think so. I mean, it was a lot. It's hard to describe whatever that was. There was a lot going on. It looked like my goddamn Tinker Toy set when I was in Lincoln Logs when I was a kid. And I'm so old, Abe Lincoln actually fucking chopped those logs. So the whole thing is it was unnecessary. It was too dangerous. It was another attempt for one of these young kids try to get himself over and for the Felix who's already over in his environment, try to help the young guy get over and boy, this will be a great spot, whatever. But he's broken either his leg or his ankle. I I haven't heard anybody say what, but obviously the way that the lower part of his leg was flopping to the side, something broke somewhere. The exact location, TBD. Because what happened was they were just, they were thinking once they did that flip that they were just going to go straight down through the goddamn tables. Over Again, I didn't excel in geometry and trigonometry and all that stuff that you do in school in math to be able to figure out speeds and angles and uh, momentum and etc. But just 
it would bear fucking common sense that when you go off that flat ladder and you're spinning in the air and you're fucking eight or ten feet up that before you land on the tables you would continue to spin and that's what he did by the time that they got to the tables Dante Martin was already over on his stomach and headed down to the floor feet first and his legs got under him and the table and everything broke and so did something in his leg and when are they going to fucking stop and think about what they're doing? And besides that, it it not only possibly damaged this kid's entire career because we've said the one thing he's got that's unusual is his leaping ability and that the height that he gets and the hang time. He's not a great promo and he's not got a real expressive face and he's not got a physique. But boy, they loved the high-flying stuff. Well, now he just broke part of his leg. But also, when you go that far, you're going that far for nothing because the setup looked so phony. It wasn't a fight in a, in a high place that people were getting into, and then suddenly one or both of them fell off. It was a creepy, crawly, we're tiptoeing on this ladder that we can barely balance on and I'll bend over so you can grab me and now are we sure we're going to go? Okay, now we got the balance. A cooperative effort that took forever to set up and was obvious that this was not in any way a struggle or a contest, but two guys setting up to do a big stunt. And so it was meaningless because of that. Because again, folks, I don't care how good the bump looks. If you looked phony as a football bat setting it up, you violated the cardinal rule of wrestling and you've gone too far. You couldn't do it right because you couldn't do it real. So now this guy's in a fucking hospital. For How was that going to end well? Because if he'd... If he'd have not turned over so far, it could have been his neck because he would have been landing on his head. I don't care whether Felix, all five foot nine and 185 pounds of him, had a good grip on him or not and was aiming him in the right place. If he hadn't gone far enough that his legs were under him, he would have landed on his fucking head. So maybe the broken leg is better than paralyzation or instant death but what the f look on the bright side bump. at least it happened working for tony instead of working on the indies that's the only bright side you could say about this whole thing and this is becoming a bigger and bigger problem and i think the smart people in wrestling and around wrestling are aware of it but it's a hard thing to fight and it's really specific in a lot of ways to aew not that you don't see high flying and blowing through spots in wwe but there's more restraint because there's more management. And with AEW and the ethos of just do anything, just everything, just get pops, 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 as opposed to building up to a pop and making the one pop mean something, it's just nonstop, get the pop, get the pop, get the pop. We've seen on TV, same company, I know it's Ring of Honor, but AEW is the same company, uh, by and large, I mean, it's Tony. Yeah. But we saw Ray Phoenix's arm snap in half on TV. 
in an unnecessary spot. We now saw Dante Martin's leg snap in half for a completely unnecessary spot. You know, the, I was a fan of the El Hijo del Vikingo Kenny Omega match. I said it before, I knew what to expect. I kind of wanted to see it. I saw clips of from that same Ring of Honor pay-per-view. Uh, someone put up like a highlight reel of him versus, I believe, Commander, another one of the high flyers AEW signed. And it was spectacular. I mean, I've never seen guys do flips like this. That's the good part. The bad part is one guy stands on the rope, takes a very deep breath, counts, gets his, gets his timing. The other guy's just standing there waiting, and he runs across to do a tumble-salt flipping into the air, and the other guy is near him when he lands. Like you said. And again, I'm not the wrestling purist. Aggress- aggressive tumbling. It's, it's, it's combative parkour. I mean, that's really more what it is. And I'm not saying that to even insult it. It's beautiful for what it is. It's the best parkour you've ever seen. But when you have people just waiting, especially when it's a one-on-one match, when it's a group of people, it's really bad. But when it's one-on-one and one person's just standing there waiting for the other guy to A, get the courage, because you need, you need a lot of courage to do it. B, pick up some speed and get going. I mean, just, it takes so much time, but there's a fan base that loves that. They just want to stand there and, or sit there and jump out of their seats and yell, oh, every time there's a flip, as opposed to the story, meaning something more than just nonstop yeah. moves. Well, but, it's and a, you mentioned- but it's a big problem. These injuries, and th- this is not going to get better, I don't think. No, because you mentioned mag- management, but it's also education. Because the, uh, Steen and Generico... They have been educated by where they're at that this is the acceptable risk that we will let you take because we have a lot of money tied up in the promotion and presentation of you and paying you for your contract, and therefore we want to be able to maximize the money we get out of you. And then also in their training program, which is the one thing that's one of the things about their training program that's better than the indies. I don't know if anything's better than the territories, but they teach guys that no, you don't want to do this and ruin your goddamn health before you actually have a career. You want to concentrate on things that you can do and learn that you can have not only a a longer career, but also a more successful one instead of just being a fucking crash test dummy. So it's educate, and the the guys in the Indies are all there like, yeah. It sounded like fucking Plumber Moxley. Yeah, fucking yeah, we can go ahead and be badass, because he's a fucking idiot. And that's where his head's at. That's why they had to draw him back, and that's why he was miserable and left. Because they're a business, and it is a business. And even in the territories, it was your business. You were your product. So you didn't want to take a sledgehammer to your fucking product and trash it. And you didn't want to do the same thing to your opponent. You, you want to take care of yourself more than your opponent, but you want to take care of your opponent too because he's in the same place and he needs to make a living. So that's why you fucking make it look like it hurts, but it doesn't. But uh, again, I don't... <laughs> They've got agents there that have experience in the wrestling business. I refuse to believe that any of the agents have the power of veto or the power to say no to the talent if anybody cleared that. 
if if they just if the guys Felix and Dante just did that without asking anybody or telling anybody they were going to do it, then I think I would fucking probably fire Dante and fucking while he's hurt so he wouldn't get paid for that. Because uh, do you, if somebody works for you is under contract to you and they go out and try to commit suicide in the middle of the ring, should you pay for the doctor bills? See, that's the thing. That would have never happened, not just in the territory days of wrestling when nobody would have been stupid enough to even want to do it, but nobody would have ever cleared it, but it wouldn't have happened 10 years ago when I was still involved on an ongoing basis in whether it be TNA or fucking Ring of Honor. Guys weren't suggesting something like that. And they yeah, would have yeah. definitely suggested it <laughs> rather than just done it. That period of time you're talking about when you were in Ring of Honor and TNA, that's when you started hearing from the talent. You know, things would be a lot better if we could just get rid of management. If we could just get rid of the camp counselors and take over, we could have our own summer camp nightmare. That's when that all started. And I've told this story, but briefly in Milwaukee, Ring of Honor show, 2011 or 12. It's Kevin Steen, and I'm, I'm saying Mark Briscoe. If it was Jay, I apologize, but I'm pretty sure it was Mark. New listeners, Kevin Steen is Kevin Owens. Kevin Owens, sorry. And we're in Milwaukee at an old building, very picturesque building. There's 700 fucking people there, and it's sold out, right? That is a small place. Nice house show. And Steen and Briscoe come to me and say, well, they want Briscoe, Mark, to do a splash, frog splash, off the balcony of this little building. And, I mean, this sounds insane, but the actually, this little building, there was a balcony that was probably about 17, 18 feet off the floor, and it was within 10 feet of the ring. And so it's not as crazy as it sounds, but he wanted to do a splash off the balcony on Steen through a table in the ring. And they come to me, I said, what are you fucking thinking? And that's when Owens, it was, well, you know, Ring of Honor was founded on those holy shit moments and the people expected we go the extra mile and blah, blah, blah. And we were trying to get away from holy shit moments and concentrate on drawing money instead of crippling people. And we talked about it for 20 or 30 minutes. And I went up there and I had Mark go up there and I balance on the rail. Is it slick? Is it too round here? Hold on to him. Let's see how it looks from up there. Okay, there's where the table's going to be. All right, if you motherfuckers want to do this, then I will let you do it. But my counter-argument was we've got the Hammerstein Ballroom in like two weeks in New York where there's going to be 2,000 people or whatever. There's some big show coming up, and it's going to be on internet pay-per-view. And both of you are in feature matches. And we didn't advertise here in Milwaukee tonight that anybody was going to jump off the balcony, but we're sold out anyway. They bought the ticket, and, and if they don't see somebody jump off the balcony, they're not going to go home disappointed because we didn't advertise it was going to happen, and they wouldn't think of it if you didn't bring it up. So maybe... Don't break either one of your fucking legs or arms 
before our big pay-per-view in a couple weeks and just send the people home happy with good wrestling. All 700 of them. If you can get out of the goddamn balcony at the Hammerstein Ballroom in front of 2,000, maybe then fucking jump. But there was never any thought context of where where you are in your goddamn life. They wanted to do everything, everywhere, all the time. So anyway, we hope Dante is feeling better. Go ahead. What's going to happen when someone breaks their neck? I mean, what can AEW? Well, they already did, technically. Well, that's true, but when... They will think about it twice. Starks in the AEW and Big E in the WWE. I'm talking about specific to AEW because we're seeing... Well, I'm just saying it's happening both, but, you know, yeah. I mean, what can you say if someone says, you know, if something really, really bad happens, you can't say it's not expected based on what's what kind of stuff you're doing in your matches and the injuries that are already happening. And it's just, to me, it's just not smart. But you know what? It's parkour. Hardcore parkour. Hardcore parkour. There you go. Bonjour, hardcore parkour. Ah, do you have a beret? Yes, and a sash. (laughs) (laughs) And I'll tell you, you know, poor Dante, since he's laid up, Dante, if you're listening, I'm going to tell you this right now. I know you're probably miserable. You're upset. You may even be in pain. But no matter what your current physical condition, you will feel better if you recuperate on a Helix Sleep mattress. I think that's safe to say that no matter what your anybody out there within the sound of my voice, no matter how you feel right now, You will feel better if you're laying down on a Helix Sleep mattress. Take a nap, sleep all night, do a little bump and uglies, play with the dog. Whatever you do on a mattress, you're going to feel better overall. I think that's probably safe to assume. It's not a guarantee. Now, I could come out here and I could say that, oh, if you lay down on a Helix Sleep mattress, it it will instantly heal your broken bones. It will cure leprosy. It cures the most stubborn case of hoarseness. I could say all those things. Not a goddamn one of them would be true. Okay. See, I could, but I won't, even though I did. But I can tell you for a flat fact, ladies and gentlemen, and also most people do sleep flat, so we got that going for us, that a Helix sleep mattress will make you feel better no matter what your condition is. If you feel crummy, Lay down on a helix, you're going to feel better. If you feel good, lay down on a helix, you're going to feel great. Again, these aren't guarantees. Let's just make sure we say these are not guarantees. Well, it'll, it'll enhance any situation. If you feel great and you lay down on a helix sleep mattress, I've seen it happen three or four times and people are instantly lifted up to heaven where they have a, a angel that plays a harp and serenades them forevermore. Metaphorically speaking, of course. Yes. You've seen this happen three times, you said. Three or four, three or metaphor, whichever number. (laughs) Helix Sleep is a premium mattress brand that provides tailored mattresses based on your unique sleep preferences. And folks, we've talked about they have a crew of tailors that works overnight putting these mattresses in these cute little suits. Some of them with a a vest, some of them are three pieces. Others have two pair of pants with them. 
The Helix lineup includes 14 unique mattresses, including a collection of luxury models that come with chrome accessories and fucking boy badass white walls and what? hubcaps. What are you the talking luxury about? Luxury models. They have a collection of luxury mattresses, and and the, you ought to see the paint jobs caps. on these bad boys. There's no paint job. Will you stop it? They've got a mattress for big and tall sleepers. The problem is most people can't get it through their doorway. That's not a problem. There's never a problem getting Helix Sleep mattresses into your house. Well, that's true because they compress them down into that box. And then when you just carry it in and set it where you want it to go and you open up the box, it just comes to life. But the problem is getting the big and tall sleepers through the door. If you're over seven and a half feet tall or you weigh more than 600 pounds, you might need to take your Helix Sleep mattress for big and tall sleepers and lay it out in the backyard. Because you're a fat fuck or a tall drink of water that can't get in normal people's houses. What? And they've oh, got uh, mattresses made just for kids, too. And 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 that way you can put that almost anywhere. If As a matter of fact, it's kind of like those roach motels. These kids' mattresses, they draw the kids to them. The kids want to lay on these things. So if you want to try to keep the kids away from the house, put the kids' mattress back in the farthest corner of the backyard, and it'll draw them away. Of course, most people want the kids in the house, and what Jim meant to say is that it is a very comfortable mattress, and all children who try a Helix Sleep mattress, not all children, can't guarantee that, children who try, my children personally have tried the Helix Sleep mattresses, and they love them. Yes, they, they draw kids like flies to shit. So, folks, again. God damn it. And folks, Helix knows there's no better way to test out a new mattress than sleeping on it in your own home, and that's why they offer the 100-night trial and a 10- to 15-year warranty to try out your new Helix mattress. 10- to 15 years, and as we mentioned, a lot of people not even going to make it that long, so you might be able to get one over on these people. We stop it. Right now, just go to helixsleep.com. That's H-E-L-I-X. And you take the, uh, the quiz. And it's not hard, and even if you flunk, they're not going to penalize you. This will not go against your educational record, folks. They just want to know what kind of uh, way you sleep, on the back, on the stomach. Do you need a model with more responsive foam to cradle your body? They've got that kind of stuff. Matter of fact, you can slip in one of these. It's like they've styrofoamed you. And then it'll be easy while you're asleep. You're in this fucking... Mattress that's made just for you. Your wife can pack the whole thing up in a box. UPS you to Cleveland. You'll wake up. That's, no. You won't know what the fuck's going on. That's not the way it works, ladies and gentlemen. You will sleep on top of your Helix Sleep mattress. You don't have to worry about being ingested by the foam. Enhanced cooling features keep you from overheating at night. And what that is, is basically you'll pay a guy that's down on his luck $10 twice a night to come in and throw a glass of cold water on you. And it will be amazing how you'll sleep cooler. Folks, right now, Helix is offering up to 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. All you got to do is go to helixsleep.com J-C-E. I may have spelled Helix earlier. I shall do so again. H-E-L-I-X sleep.com J-C-E. Up to 20% off all mattress orders. And two free pillows on top of that. And Helix supports the military, the first responders. As a matter of fact, many times when paratroopers, uh, when they 
parachute out of planes into a foreign country to invade them. They have a helix mattress strapped to their back so they can have a soft landing. That's not exactly true, but imagine if Dante Martin had a helix sleep mattress to land on. Well, then, he would have he would have been right in the middle of it. <laughs> Teachers and students, they support you, too. You'll get a special discount. And unlike a lot of mattress companies out there, Helix owns its own manufacturing facility. So they're making all kinds of things they're stuffing in them mattresses. As a matter, next time you get one, cut it open. It's like a box of Cracker Jacks. It's got no, a hell it's of a not. Prize. Well, not everyone does, but certain Helix mattresses may have some type of gold bullion. So if I were you, I'd, I'd take a knife or a metal detector and poke around in mine. You never know what you might find. Don't do Again, that, folks, anyone who's listening. Right now, go to helixsleep.com. The kids' mattresses, the, the big, fat, tall, fuck mattresses, they got all kinds of mattresses. They got the perfect mattress for you and your partner. Get your partner an extra mattress, and you won't have to sleep with them either. The kids and your partner will be out in the fucking yard. Helix. Or in other rooms of the house. You don't have to put everyone in the yard. Well, it could be out in the street, but that would be a traffic hazard. Right. I don't want to be sued because my partner and children were sleeping out in the street and some guy wrecked his car. Well, if you and your partner and your children want to enjoy your new mattresses, do so in your home with Helix Sleep. All right. Well, speaking of furry stuff being stuffed into something, is that a woolly worm on Vince's face or is he just happy to be back? What the f before we talk about Vince's new contract with the WWE, let's talk about Vince's new facial hair. It looks like Snidely Whiplash and Vincent Price had a baby. It, it, he's, I don't, is he also dyeing his hair now? Because wasn't he on TV with some semblance of some gray in his hair for quite a while and then suddenly he looked like. Goddamn Ron Jeremy's pubic hair is on his head. He looks insane right now because it also looks like he has fillers or something in his cheeks. So he has like what appear to be big fake cheeks and then a flat Botox forehead and then all of a sudden jet black hair and a mustache. And a woolly worm mustache. That's always the interesting and thing. You know, anyone who's ever grown a mustache... I've never done the move where you either shave off the bottom or you shave off the top. <laughs> like, I've always just had whatever's there, that, that's what grows. In between the nose and the lip, is that's, that's kind of the area. But it, this is just, it's, it's like somebody took a fucking Sharpie to him while he was asleep. And I, how does that, when you're almost 80 years old and you've never had something like that before in your life, how does that idea strike you? I think you hit on it earlier on, joking around. He remembers being a kid and seeing Errol Flynn in movies. <laughs> and he's like, you know what? I always wanted to be swashbuckling. You know, that, you know what? That is a, that's not only a word that doesn't fucking get used enough lately. These, you know, these modern years, swashbuckling and swashbuckler. But also now I think I can see Vince in the, in the Cult of Cornet Fan Fest Watcher outfit. With the sash and, <laughs> but instead of, it wouldn't be a beret. It would be the, the goddamn pirate scarf. He'd be like Keith Richards and he's got a fucking saber and the sash and, and his mustache, mustache matches the shirt. So it works perfect. 
so again, I understand maybe the idea of, well, if you're a public figure and you want to color your hair a little bit, keep, but after people have already seen it, who goes gray and then goes back naturally? Does that happen? So once the, once Paul McCartney, yeah, once the paralegal is out of the bag, so to speak, (laughs) once that something has been revealed, you you know, then you can't, you can't go back. Can you, he can't make all the people that saw him with gray hair sign an NDA. It looks to me like he got worked on, on his face for you to be that age after all these years on TV and knowing that you're never going to have. Even in a perfect world, you're going to not have that sort of presence on your television show ever again. All of a sudden, he looks nuts. Something's going on. <laughs> he looks nuts. He looks nuts. You know, the it whole thing? Be- like he was going to grow old and still be this bodybuilder. Like for an old man, he's in great, great shape. But his face all of a sudden has this transformation and he looks like another person. Maybe it's just he missed Halloween all those years when he was working constantly and didn't celebrate, you know, any kind of holidays. So now he decided he's going to go as Gomez Adams. He decided to find Madonna's plastic surgeon. <laughs> Look at him. He looks like one person from the cheeks down and one person from the cheeks up. Now, wait a minute. Which cheeks are you talking about? The cheeks in the photo with Muda. Well, maybe maybe he got some of Madonna's ass cheeks implanted in his face cheeks. Or vice versa. Or vice versa. You know, hey, the Kiss My Ass Club, the Ass in the Face spot by Rikishi, this, these, these could have been clues that were being dropped. Little Easter eggs. Can you imagine you get into the Hall of Fame? Let's just say you're one of the women's wrestlers. You get into the Hall of Fame. It's just this wonderful career culmination. The celebration of everything I've been through. And you're back there, and you're next to Paul, Triple H. Here's your ring. Want to get a picture? Oh, by the way, right before the picture, who slides right in with a mustache? Vince McMahon. Like, hello! <laughs> Remember me! <laughs> if he'd have been twirling one end of it, it would have been perfect. <laughs> and then we'll get the Saudis $9 billion. But, you see, but again, to go back to it, he didn't go like mustache like, I'm in working in the forest mustache, or I live in <laughs> Brooklyn mustache. He went with... Like, I'm a maitre d' at a French restaurant mustache. (laughs) That's a choice. It's an interesting choice. So, are you saying that he visited a fancy restaurant and saw some guy coming out with a fucking tray of Welsh rarebit and thought, I need that guy's look? Either that or Errol Flynn. Those are the two choices. Hey, I'm telling you, Errol Flynn's going to make a comeback. And now here's the thing. Let's let's get into it. Vince has a new contract. So that means that he's, you know, with the mustache and the whole new look, he's reinventing himself and he's going to own all his intellectual property. It, it, I, I, that's the, you're going to tell the people, the people, what some of the terms of Vince's new contract are with the WWE, but... The best one to me, the most ironic, as the kids say, is all this time, he didn't want any of the boys to own anything. He didn't want them to own their music. He didn't want them to own their name. He didn't want them to own their outfit. He didn't want them to own nothing. And now 
he writes his contract for his company and he's going to own all his shit. How ironic. Well, Jim, as reported on the wrestling news this week, Vince McMahon is once again an official employee of WWE as he entered into an employment agreement with the company last Wednesday, according to a new SEC filing. The agreement calls for McMahon to remain on as the executive chairman for a two-year period with an annual salary of $1.2 million, a target bonus of 175%, and an annual stock grant for a total value of $4.3 million. Jesus Christ! McMahon also received stock awards in the amount of $4.703 million. McMahon will also be eligible for a severance package if WWE terminates him without cause, or if he terminates the employment agreement for good reason. <laughs> As part of the we'll get back to that. That's fascinating. As part of the agreement, McMahon retains the rights to his intellectual property and life story, including his likeness and name. Well, 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 he's going to be uh, very fairly paid. I think we can say that. And two years now, first of all, and I asked you this, we were talking off the air. Is that a two-year no-cut deal? And, and if, if you know, if uh, Generalissimo Francisco Franco or whoever runs the place over there in Saudi Arabia, whatever his name is, MBA or whatever, if he decides to buy the thing, does that mean he buys Vince for two years? Is it a no-cut contract? Or then does a, a new owner have the opportunity to say, well, Vince, maybe we don't really need to be paying you all this money. We just bought this thing. I mean, what's has he installed himself firmly there? And then, like you mentioned, and I laughed, if he terminates the agreement for cause. So if he decides he doesn't like working for the company that he started and he founded and he potentially is about to sell and he decides, now nah, I want to go home, just pay me all the rest of the money. Is that how that works? Imagine if like someone at WCW right before the sale happened was able to give themselves a two year contract at 1.2 million. How many employees of WWE make that much money? Does anyone? Employees. No. For an employee contract. Well, I, well, when when you're getting up to, you know, Triple H or, you know, the, the, the CEOs or the Nick Cons or whatever, you know, probably, but still, 1.2 plus a bonus of... 175%. That, I was about to say a bonus of that plus three quarters of that extra. <laughs> yeah. Plus stock, which he already owns almost all the stock. They're going to print new stock so he can own some of that too. Uh, so, and again, is that, how am I reading that or how are you reading that? And I'm interpreting that, that if he's not happy, he can just say, give me all my money and I'll go home. Yeah. Again, I have to uh, go deeper into the story for good reason could mean a lot of things and who determines what good reason is, or is another story. <laughs> And and then again, he just agreed. We saw that news and kind of it it got blurred with all the other things that have been going on the last couple of weeks. But he just agreed to repay the what was it seventeen, eighteen, nineteen million dollars, some ridiculous figure that 
the investigation into the illegal paralegals cost the company. So now that he's got that cleared up, he's going to pay himself that money back over the next couple of years. <laughs> he's not going away. What are you going to think when he is completely all over creative again? Because I think more signs point to that happening than him being out of creative completely. It's starting to look like he's, he's, uh, the tentacles of Vince are starting to creep back over different departments. I mean, again, nothing that, you know, all of a sudden we didn't see the fucking gobbledygooker last night at intermission, but the longer he's there, the, the less willpower he's going to have to resist getting involved in everything again. It's just, that's the thing. They probably were hoping, well, if, if he comes back, and we're trying to rush this sale up and it happens quick, you know, bing, bang, fucking boom. And we're out of there. That may be something people were thinking, but now the longer this goes on, we don't know what's going to happen tonight on the final night of WrestleMania, but the longer this goes on, the more temptation there's going to be for Vince to get, to, he can't help himself to get into everything, but maybe the timing of the new employment contract and the paying off of the, pre-existing debt was because he knows that the fireworks tonight are not necessarily going to be the end of the title match, but when he comes out with Muhammad Ali Hassan or whoever the fuck the guy is, and they shake hands and pose for pictures, we don't know. Then it would be a very fortuitously timed employment contract, wouldn't it? I mean, one way or another, I think that's what that's all about. And... He looks ridiculous. I hope he does come out tonight. I want to see. I want to see that face on the big stage. What's going on there? You're gonna see that that eighty foot wide mustache on the big Titan Tron. Vince, come out and play. And then there's the other look where they keep where some people keep the mustache like the top of the mustache and then shave from like the middle above the lip area down. I don't get that either. <laughs> the fuck. Maybe he's going to do a Paul Jones. <laughs> it's going to slowly morph. It's going to slowly. Yeah. <laughs> For the people who don't know what we're talking about, Paul Jones was a very hirsute individual. Uh, he had very black hair and thick hair and, and he grew a mustache. It was like a giant thick thing all the way across from his nose, down from his nose to his lip and all the way across to his cheeks. And then he was on TV and we started noticing every week he would shave like a quarter of an inch off of each end. And by the time that anybody realized it, he had a fucking Hitler mustache. And it was since it was Paul Jones's army was his gimmick and he was wearing fatigues. It was starting to get a little too. He's wearing beige. Too, he was wearing Nazi beige. Yes. Yeah, so <laughs> I think that's when they finally said, Paul, go ahead and shave it the rest of the way off. You've come this far. Let's see. But anyway, so that's uh, Vince's uh, new mustache, a new contract. And I understand that mustache rides will be available in the commissary at Titan Tower between noon and two every day. The other thing this could be is just as simple as younger girlfriend. You get a younger girlfriend, they'll make you do crazy things like dye your hair black and... But now, wait, hold on. <laughs> Vince has had... A if Vince hasn't had a younger girlfriend for the last fucking 20 years, who the fuck's he been dating? 
Can he, is, is it almost any, no, but maybe it's, is there a possibility that he would have an older girlfriend at this point? What well, would she be in an iron lung? Well, that's true. That's a good point. But maybe he just, he found someone who's the right spirit and they inspired him to look at things a different way, like grow a mustache and dye his hair black, <laughs> like different things that he's <laughs> never done before. Are you telling me that, that he and Linda, their, their relationship wasn't a, a mustache and you know, one one's he he had the name tag of Clive, and she had the name tag of Betsy, and they went out for a fucking night at the hotel bar, like on Modern Family. I think they had nicknames of Klaus and uh, Sonny. But let me ask you this: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, do you think Linda and Stephanie and Shane are going to walk away with their likeness rights? Oh, I thought she asked if they were going to grow a mustache, too. Yeah, will they live? No. Will they walk away? This is an interesting thing now, because Vince is the only person we know of that has this kind of deal. Yeah. There's never been this kind of deal before, no. specifically. They just, before they had actual written deals, everybody took their intellectual property with them wherever they went. But after 40 years ago, when he started doing contracts... That's that's been a steady fight to take everything he could from the talent. He's never given anybody blanket. And remember the um he gave Brett the rights to his Calgary matches. Well, no, no, uh, I think the, I think Stu gave him the rights and Vince had to honor it. Oh, that's that's right. That Stu had given him the rights when Vince bought the library, he had to honor that. But and probably didn't enjoy doing that. So there you go. I don't know about, I mean. Side, he needs sideburns. I think what that's the, what he needs. <laughs> mutton chops? Yeah, I think he needs to like really just go completely different. Completely crazy, swashbuckling Vince McMahon. But now, there's that swashbuckling again. But now, what, I'm what rights it back. Could, would Linda have to take, you know, <laughs> she has the rights to seven minutes of her taking the worst tombstones and stunners ever in history? Or Stephanie and Shane may have a, a point there. But I would he be the ultimate heel and say, I got my property rights, but the Saudis can have Shane and Stephanie's picture on the side of their fucking billboards uh, all day long? When's Triple H's next employment agreement? That's what I want to see. Mm. Who else is going to ever get this? Is anyone else ever going to get this kind of thing where they can walk away with the rights to their name and everything else? I don't know, but it's going to be interesting seeing Sheik Hunter Hearst Helmsley. I think they would just go Sheik Helmsley. Well, yeah, Sheik Helmsley. And his and his his wife Leona. <laughs> All right. Change Stephanie's name. The Von Bulos and the Helmsleys referenced in they, one segment, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> this is wrestling talk. Well, let let's make it worse. Um <laughs> let's go to SmackDown, where we really got a lot of talk. No, um, this was the final SmackDown, uh, March 31st, before the big first night of WrestleMania. And as we mentioned on Raw, they couldn't really do a lot more because there wasn't a lot that had been left undone, right? And so it was just kind of maintenance stuff to make sure everybody knows who, you know, everybody's still mad at. And they opened this SmackDown with the Usos coming out and to do an in-ring interview. And they spoke for about 15 seconds. And here comes Sami Zayn's music. And oh, 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 
I, I, there's so many old tunes that I've now, I, they're all interchangeable to me. Chris Jericho invented that. I heard that from his own chicken lips. Um, but they, so here comes Sammy and Kevin and they get in the ring and I just said, you know, they've pretty much said and done everything. There's not a lot that they haven't done or said. So that's when <laughs> Kevin and Sammy say tonight, we're going to make sure that there's nothing left unsaid, <laughs> which is an excuse for them to talk for 10 minutes. Cause here's the thing. I'm not saying this was a bad interview, but they've built this thing up betrayal and, you know, vengeance and family. And when the two opposing forces or teams just get in the ring together, all of them with microphones, and stand there and talk with no announcer, no referees, no authority figure or commit, no Dana White in between the fighters at the photo op at the weigh-in. How mad can they be? They're standing there fucking talking trash to each other. Just hit somebody. Right, it, it with no structure of a sports-based presentation television program, and the guys to, for, and I mean, I normally we just gloss over this because it's so commonplace. They've been doing it for so long because there's really no grudge matches anymore. But this one, it's kind of a grudge match. They've they've been firing on all cylinders, and they hit their magic formula. So it stood out more that they're, they're just all with microphones, just talking to each other because they can't fight yet. Cause that's on the pay-per-view, but we got to have them out here on TV for the ratings. And we didn't put a lot of thought into it. We just let them tell each other off. It was a time filler. There was no new ground broken or anything that whipped you up into a frenzy as Sammy basically again tried to put doubt in the Usos' minds as to whether Roman would be loyal to them or not, and tells him when you know when we win the belts, you guys can go back to being themselves or yourselves, right? And then the Usos tell Sammy he'll lose, and Kevin's going to turn on him again. And they gave the heels the final word, and all four of them stared at each other, and that was pretty much it. I. Th <laughs> There's almost a danger, and it wasn't as prevalent in the territory days when it was only an hour TV or the promotions only had one TV show per week, or it just there wasn't this constant expectation that everybody that's wrestling on the big show will have interaction on every program. But there's a danger sometimes when you put guys in your hot match in in you when you put them together with each other they're interacting with each other too much before the the big match it kind of takes the edge off because people are well well fuck if they were that fucking mad they'd have done something about it by now you see what i'm saying you think it would have been better to have each team get a win at different points in the show and then follow it with a promo possibly they had plenty of time to do that because of these meaningless four ways that preface the meaningless four-way tags that they, they were, were going to have on WrestleMania. But again, that's kind of a rule. They've got a checklist that they have to have this match or that talent exposed to, to you know, lead to the pay-per-view. But does anybody give a shit about the four-team matches? No, male or female. They're just stuck on the show because they want to get those guys a payoff and don't want them bitching that they weren't on WrestleMania. So it might have been better than just have 
you know, but then they're thinking, well, the ratings, we want to get the ratings, so they're, they should be in the ring with each other. But then you kind of take the edge off the, the, the bigger deal. I don't know. Am I being too critical? I mean, you're being critical. I mean, too critical, who knows? It's in the eye of the beholder. But I think there's a real point there because there have been a few times, this one specifically, where as hot as things are, it felt like there was a week where they really didn't have like too much. It was like, okay, let's just general interaction on this week's show. <laughs> and to what I said earlier, if you had had Owens and Zayn get a nice conclusive victory over some team and then follow it up with a fired up promo in front of that house in the town that the show's going to be in, that was a hot crowd. And then have the Usos do the same thing. Does that build up interest in the pay-per-view more than just a debate with no touching. I don't know. Yes. And no resolution. But anyway, speaking of resolutions and none of same, a four-way, there's going to be a four-way tag, so they have a four-way single. Ricochet, Montez Ford, Shush Boy, and a Viking. And Ricochet won. And that makes you want to see the four-way tag less because it's just more of these people doing moves to each other back and forth. Uh, they, they had the Andre Battle Royal. And the Andre the Giant package was one of my favorite parts of the show. Um, the only two people that got an entrance were Bobby Lashley and Brown Strongman. And everybody else was just... Brown Strowman, for those unaware. Yeah, and everybody else was just, you know, out there in the ring. Uh, and then during the break in between Lashley and Strongman, they have a shot of the great Muda's dressing room with the great Muda's name on the door and a production guy opens the door and comes out wiping green mist off his face. Oh, that Muda. And that, and they saw oh, the great Muda's here tonight for the hall of fame. That what wacky the Muda. He's always up to things like that. That's the kind of shit. If, <laughs> if it had been Baba, he would have cut the fucking working agreement off again. So anyway, the that wacky misting mood, and then we never saw mood on this show. <laughs> that wacky misting mood, wacky misting mood, <laughs> wacky waving arm inflatable misting mood is available at Target. So they ring the bell for the battle royal, and there's easily twenty plus guys in the thing, and Michael Cole immediately says Flop Dollar's going to win because he can't get over the top rope. So they're still persecuting that, and. Baron Corbin gets dumped in five seconds, and I'm fast-forwarding to the final four because we got bigger fish to fry. And the final four were Lashley, L.A. Knight, Bronson Reed, and Brown Strongman. And the people were for L.A. Knight. Did you hear that? Not a surprise. Every time that it looked like he might actually do something, they were with it, and when somebody did something to him, they were against that person, and finally... Bronson Reed dumped him and got the most heat of the match. And people were genuinely not happy about it. If he shows up tonight for night two of WrestleMania, he'll get a monster pop. And that's probably why they'll keep him hidden in the back. Um, Brown Strongman is rotten. I see that in a 15-second period, he was waving Lashley in for the squash in the corner but not selling on his face at all, going through the motions physically, but he's looking around and he's... Uh, uh, the quick camera cuts obscured some of it, but then they had a spot where Lashley was going to run and 
Strongman was going to scoop him up for an over-the-shoulder slam, and they had to do it twice, and there was much conversation about this. And finally, um, Bronson Reed eliminated good old Brown Strongman and then missed a splash off the top, and Lashley hit the spear and eliminated Bronson Reed. And it was rough, but it's better for Bobby Lashley than working with Bray Wyatt. And apparently that was whatever Captain Duty's problem is. Uh, Lashley had no match, so they gave him this big win on network television because he was off WrestleMania at the last minute. So that was kind of that. I think he'll be there for night two also. And I've said before on the show what I think could be what they do with him, but the story's L.A. night once again. Everything they had done with this guy, now we're talking months. Months where people should have given up on caring about him. But they like his catchphrase. He does a good promo. His matches are good. He beat Rey Mysterio last week. They got it. Like, time's running out. You have to do something with him if you're going to do something with him, and you should right now. Yeah, well, and and sympathy about bad booking only lasts so long because right now the people are like, well, fuck them. We're going to still cheer for L.A., but then if just over and over they don't see anything, they will tire of that. Anyway, they did a great Cody package. Again, great stuff. The history package from old footage of, you know, his early days in the company and, and in the business until now and the rehab from the injury and the whole nine yards. And that's the way you make somebody look like a star. And they do this better than anybody. And then here's another (laughs) Shayna versus Raquel versus Natalia versus Cruella. And Shayna had Rhonda and Raquel had Liv in the corner and Natalia had Hoozy and Cruella had Wutsy. And it's, there's a four team girls match at WrestleMania. They're doing the same thing as the guys on the same show. Who gives a shit? Winning team gets Vince McMahon. And boy, in that case, it'd be like a Tupelo loser leave town match where everybody's trying to fucking lose. And then uh, Pablo Escobar in the back with Rey Mysterio recited some dramatic verbiage about the Lucha suits being behind him and the drama with his son. This was like a a dramatic play reading audition kind of thing. Did you get that vibe? A little bit. And again, I've said, you know, Escobar's all right, but the way they've kind of shoehorned him into the Rey Mysterio thing kind of is the only thing in the Rey Dominic feud program that feels a bit forced. Zelina Vega, I feel bad for her. She had like nothing to do. She just stands there and nods. Like, yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, and now they're kind of pulling Rhea out of the Judgment Day, hopefully, with the uh, latest developments. So Zelina didn't really have anything to do there either. But nevertheless, the awkward partners angle takes place. Seamus and Drew, the reluctant partners, are forced into a tag team match against uh, Gunther's Imperium Stooges, Kaiser Wilhelm and Marcel Marceau, ahead of the three-way with Gunther at WrestleMania. And I've mentioned, (laughs) I'd rather seen Gunther and Drew probably just because we've seen Gunther and Seamus here recently, but Gunther in a single match with anybody. But we get another three-way. And now this is the obligatory we're going to treat Gunther's stooges like stooges 
and make it a self-fulfilling thing where the only the only thing that either of the baby faces really sold here was each other and their you know animosity toward each other and lots of tagging each other in, tagging themselves in on each other but they only lost the advantage when they were arguing with each other and then they beat the heels flat in the middle so it's the same thing again with the usos there's still an element of they're treated in Roman's programs as two guys to for the single challenger to beat up. So how do I take him as a top team? And here, Gunther's tag team is like two flunkies. So how do I take them seriously as any more than cannon fodder? That's my issue with, with the way they treat the tag teams in these factions. Uh, word came out just this past week that Drew McIntyre's contract is coming up soon, and reportedly, he and WWE are far apart on a new contract. What are your thoughts? I mean, this is a guy that was a champion a couple of years ago. Now he's doing his stuff with Sheamus. I personally am bored with it, but what do you think? Well, I mean, he's a great-looking guy, and he's a good talent, and he's worked very hard, and we've heard reports here lately that he's worked through injuries and or illness to be there to be you know make bookings be the guy locker room if not leader then set an example i'm sure he's been doing that also to show them that he's valuable but without knowing yes i'd sign him but without knowing how much they're paying him or how much he's wanting that may be the the sticking point is he a guy that's worth several million dollars or whatever you know Probably not. They fired Brown, make it a couple million. They fired um, Bray Wyatt, and and then got buyer's remorse. Apparently, again, we heard they offered Owens somewhere between two and a half and three million dollars. Right now, Owens is more over than Drew, even though <laughs> stand the two of them next to each other, and it's a before and after ad for fucking taking care of yourself physically. Um. So without knowing the amount, I can't say which side's being unrealistic here. But nevertheless, we come now to the main event of SmackDown, which is the promo. Cody makes his entrance. And what do you want to talk about? And he hey, cut another... Go ahead. The first time he did it, it was kind of like, okay, this is... A funny little line, considering everything going on. Then the second time he did it, a reference the first time he did it. Now he's in WWE. He's doing it for every promo. I'm getting a little sick of. So what do you guys want to talk about? Well, you know they're not exactly. No one's reacting the to it either. In the air and yeah. bringing the house down for it, like you know, when when The Rock says finally. Uh. So yeah, but that's that's his thing. But. He told him what he wanted to talk about. Uh, he did a good promo again, promoted the big match, rah-rahed the fans, did some two-pack lyrics. I, I, he stopped before he said he could. Uh, he would go into the stuff that was too adult for Fox. I've never heard a two-pack song, so I can't comment on that. Um, I love the line where he said Roman Reigns was an 11-year multi-million dollar investment that didn't pay off till year eight. <laughs> that was pretty fucking stiff. 
And he, you know, was introducing himself as the next champion. And at WrestleMania, I'm going to finish. And he started to say my story. And then Roman's music hits. And Roman does his three-minute entrance. And then they had the face-off. And Roman started to do his, you know, deal. Hey, L.A., acknowledge me. But no, he said, wait, I don't care about them. It's your turn. Cody Rhodes, acknowledge me. And then he dropped the microphone. They went face-to-face. Roman lifted the belt up, and they went off the air. So, What do you think happened after that? Did they get out of the ring? Did they fight? Did they fight all the way until WrestleMania? What happened? I don't think they did. I think they got out of the ring because, again, it was we've seen them go face-to-face. And it was it was another ratings ploy, if you'd like to use that term for it, but it was just another way to get him in the middle of the ring, but nothing happened. Cody did another excellent promo. It didn't need Roman for that. Roman's part was to stand there face-to-face and hold the belt in the air. And then I guess once they went off the air, there was some type of awkward why I oughta, and then they they left. But this was pretty much just a refresher show the night before. Did I miss anything in that last segment? No, I don't think so. Is that what you think this should be the night before night one of WrestleMania? Well, yes, it should be. I mean, you can't shoot a major angle that you expect to get, you know, any play or have any impact 24 hours before the fucking show, because then by the time that you people would have time to hear about it, sink in, see it, talk about it, refresh it, relive it, what it's gone. But, you know, at the same time, they do it so much. Just let's get the participants in the ring together with each other in some fashion, even if absolutely nothing happens. And I'm not saying something should happen every time. They do too many angles. That's why many of them don't register. But you can't can't have your cake and eat it too in terms of if you have the participants in a big match that you're trying to sell a big premium live event, whatever, if you have the participants together on TV every week, being able to advertise that may help the ratings, but you can't have them fight constantly or fight every time, or it takes the edge off the match. And as we mentioned earlier with the Usos and Owens and Sammy, if you have them in the ring and they don't fight, it sometimes kind of takes the edge off the thing. They all should be represented on the show, but you can't have them interact just every week unless you're doing something to further things along. Because then people say, well, they say they're going to be face-to-face, but the last time the one guy held the belt up and the other guy stood and glared at him and nothing happened. So then you're kind of losing your credibility when you advertise that. You tease them and if they know that nothing happens more often than not. So it's, it's a balancing act. Should someone yell at the end of the show, like one of the commentators, like, we have to go, we have to go off the air. Yes. There's none of that. It's just silence. Yes. Instead of just, well, that's it. You know, if, if, if that's where JR was so good in the Attitude Era, if Roman is standing there holding the belt up and Cody's staring him in the face, instead of it just going to fucking black or a football commercial or whatever, JR would do the fill and he would say, 
The most dominant champion of modern times faces his biggest challenge ever in less than 24 hours. Can Cody Rhodes, the American Nightmare, finish his story? Then you go to the fucking break. It's... But Kevin Dunn or somebody or it's events or the two of them together or they've trained all of the technical crew and the announcers, this is what we do. This is how we do it, uh-huh. This just breaking, Vince now wants to be referred to as Pierre. <laughs> and he is so lucky. He is so lucky. <laughs> Lucky Pierre. But you know what, Brian? Here's the thing. A lot of times, you just... When you're Vince McMahon, you got so many things going on. You got so many things you're in charge of. A busy man. You need to... Sometimes you need to just be aware of what's going on around you and read the room better. It's always good when you can read the room better. When you're aware of your surroundings. Let me give you an example, young Mr. Last. I got an email. I'll have you know. An email from a, a fellow whose name I will not mention because we're going to talk about a criminal case here. And oh. I don't want to, well, I don't, I, even though he was the victim, I don't want to have him drug through any, any type of thing out in public. But he writes, hello, Jim and Brian. I'm a huge fan of the show. I wanted to share with you a recent event that happened in my life. I think you may find interesting. I work nights at a gas station. And one day, or one night, while listening to your program, two individuals walked into the store and held me at gunpoint. They demanded all the money from the registers. They demanded my cell phone and even my earbuds. Now, at the time, I'd been using cheap $20 earbuds I bought at a flea market, so it was no big loss. But I wished that I'd been more alert to the situation. I remember thinking afterwards, after I was the victim of an armed robbery at gunpoint, man, where am I going to get some replacement earbuds? And if only there were earbuds with an awareness mode, so I'd know what was going on around me, something I could wear every day. And then I remembered your spot about Raycon wireless earbuds, and the first thing I did after calling the police and filing a police report was to go to Raycon.com and buy a pair of earbuds with your promo code so the next time someone robs the store and holds me at gunpoint, I'll at least be aware of it. Thank you again, Jim and Brian. I'm glad they didn't take his laptop. Well, he didn't have it. He was he was standing up working. He wasn't sitting around with stuff on his lap. Doesn't have to be on your lap. Well, it's a laptop. I think most people actually probably don't use it just on their lap. They put it on a desk or a table. Take it anywhere. Well, if if you don't know how to use your equipment, that's not my fault. I can't be everywhere at once. But I'm telling you right now, folks, if you don't want to be robbed at gunpoint, the way society what? is these days, now I'm telling you, the way people are these days, the way society in general is these days, the only way that you can protect yourself from being robbed at gunpoint is to buy yourself a pair of Raycon everyday wireless earbuds. Uh, they cannot protect anyone from being robbed at gunpoint. Let's be well, very yeah, clear about that. Technically, they can because, and I'll tell you they why. Technically, they can't. No, yeah, tell me. Let me hear this. Well, yes, technically, because here's the thing now. Now, see little, little Mooch here that just wrote in. <laughs> he was, he had these cheap earbuds in his ears from the flea market, 
and he was listening to the music turned up loud, and these people snuck up behind him and got the drop on him. And before he was even aware of what was going on, they had him dead to rights. They had him at gunpoint. He was dicked by the dangled dong of destiny right there in front of God and everybody. He was caught. But Making a lot of assumptions there, but okay, go ahead. But, well, why would you just stand there and know somebody was coming up on you with a gun and stand there and allow him to do it? He had no knowledge because of the cheap earbuds. No, well, you don't know but, that. Again, you don't know that. If he's I'm back- just going by his personal testimony. If he's back there watching porn, not paying attention to who's in the store, and they you come up behind him. You can't watch porn on $20 earbuds. You can only listen to it. And what good is that? That's like smelling a bakery without going in and eating the cake. Just watch women's tennis. I thought you were going to say women's titties. But nevertheless, <laughs> so we're back to the armed robbery. Now, here's the thing. The Raycon wireless earbuds can prevent you, can stop you from being a victim of an armed robbery nope. because they have an awareness mode. But you can't, and say, that way, you can't say they're going to protect you from being... In an armed robbery, they certainly they will won't. give you early warning. You'll know about it ahead of time. You got time to get your rabbit ass out of there because you'll be aware of your surroundings, courtesy of the awareness <laughs> mode. But again, then the, I mean, in the best case scenario, yes, this is exactly what would happen. But again, Raycon earbuds will not protect you from armed robbery. They can help uh, make you not involved in one. They can help See? you. What? No, I don't they can see. help make oh. you not involved in one. If you know that the armed <laughs> robber is approaching you, you will leave. You will leave the area, the vicinity. Oh. You will not be robbed. Therefore, an awareness mode on your everyday wireless earbuds from Raycon will prevent you from being the victim of an armed robbery because you got time to ski-daddle. You got time to get the heck out of there. You got time... <laughs> To, to just take what off. What the fuck was that? <laughs> yeah, see? I didn't hit the button all the way. <laughs> see, there we go. So anyway, here's another thing. Yeah. With, with the noise isolation, let's say that you're screaming, help, help, police. Help, police. Well, if there's a bunch of, I don't know, traffic noise around or there's a brass band, a parade down the street, they may not be able to hear you. Well, with the noise isolation on your Raycon wireless earbuds, you can just isolate the noise of you screaming at the top of your lungs for help. What? And get rid of all the rest of that noise. You can isolate no, that noise. First of all, this is the worst example you could ever give. But second of all, that's not how noise isolation works. You don't isolate individual noises you don't isolate noise when you're using noise isolation well not individual noises that you can then i don't know repurpose well on, you can't. on a loudspeaker you've or you, what is your noises. <laughs> if you've got multiple noises then you're, you're not isolating them because the you, you can't be isolated in a group here's here's something else crystal clear call quality so when you call 911, somebody <laughs> shot me in my taint, they'll be able to hear you a mile away, and you'll be able to hear them when they say, well, it's up to you to fucking get yourself out of this mess because we've got other calls to answer first. And since you're in a sticky situation there, <laughs> these everyday earbuds are water and sweat resistant. They're sweat resistant because you're going to be sweating your balls off if you're staring down the barrel of a 44. You're going to turn and scream at Linda Lou, and the water's going to hit the floor, and they're water-resistant, too. 
And when you jump off the bridge into the river to swim away from the people that are robbing you at gunpoint, (laughs) these Raycon everyday wireless earbuds will sound as good when they come out of the fucking drink as they did when you dove in. So you got all those things going for you. So right now, if you want to stay free of this crime wave that we're experiencing in the United States today. Especially on the West Coast. Especially on the West Coast. Go to buyraycon, B-U-Y-R-A-Y-C-O-N, buyraycon.com slash J-C-E. Today, you're going to get 15% off your Raycon order, everything. Order whatever they've got. Order shit they don't have. Send them money. They'll give you 15% off. Buyraycon.com slash J-C-E. You got to remember the slash J-C-E to get the 15% off. Buyraycon.com slash J-C-E. Do not be the victim of crime in the streets. Protect yourself. Be aware with Raycon everyday wireless earbuds, even if noises are still in groups. That's right. Raycon! All right, well, it's time to go to the Hall of Fame. Are you ready, Brian? You got your tickets? You got your tuxedo on and everything? Well, metaphorically speaking, we'll be going to the Metaphorically. Uh, We do a lot of metaphorically speaking over here. Yes. Uh, Speaking of speaking... The voiceover guy sounds like one of those AI voices. It's not like a Liv Schreiber, like it's a really deep, rich, meaningful voiceover. It's like it's not even human. He has no emotion. He's, he's got a very good voice, but it's just coming out like that. Kayla Braxton and Corey Graves as the host. Could they not find the king and queen of Polk High School prom? Is that the... What's wrong with them? They did all right. All things considered. Obviously, I know he can't do it right now, but when they had Lawler as the host of the Hall of Fame ceremony, it because he's a Hall of Fame wrestler. Um, There's, you know, the hosts of this Hall of Fame ceremony were younger than the socks that I'm wearing right now. They were the hosts of WWE. I guess you look at it that way. The backstage interviewer and the wacky heel commentator. Well, that's because they didn't have... A, a need to sell tickets specifically to the Hall of Fame. Um, and speaking of not needing to sell tickets, are you as offended as I am that Stacy Keebler is in any kind of wrestling Hall of Fame? I'm not offended in any way about it, no. <laughs> it's the WWE Hall of Fame. I mean, of all the Hall of uh, Fames, that's the one I think has the least integrity, so I don't give a shit. I know they've got the quota where they got to have the the woman and they got to have the deceased person and they got to have the whatever. But uh, I would skip it, I said, but I see Cactus coming out to induct her. So even though it's absolutely ridiculous to envision Stacey Keebler in a wrestling hall of fame, I figured I'll give Mick a chance. And I got through about two to three minutes of that and I love Mick, but... uh, and then there was a co-inductor. I zip forward a bit, and Tori Wilson is the co-inductor. And then finally we get to Stacy Keebler. And here's the Tony Khan would have paid for the real version of Legs. He would have paid Dusty Hill some money. But no, we get a goddamn garage band ripoff version. Um, You know, I've, again, I've never met this girl. I'm sure she's nice. I understand she's a talented dancer. She's a homemaker, baby maker, whatever. Hall of Famer. Yeah. I heard 
the phrase, my WWE journey, and her start to talk about how she's always wanted to be an entertainer, and I skipped ahead. I was, if, if Cora Combs was going to come out and stretch her, I would watch it, but otherwise, phew. Also, I'm glad, so, I'm glad Vince isn't here anymore, but who's that creepy guy with the mustache backstage? Well, that was the uh, the the guy that was going to escort all of the uh, ladies in the Hall of Fame off. The see, he was right in between Stacy and Tori and Brandy and Gladys and Ethel and whoever the fuck. Anyway, can we move on from Stacy Keebler? Yes. Okay. Did you see the WrestleMania video they did to Hollywood Swingers? Hollywood swinging, not swingers. No, it's it's Hollywood swingers. Hollywood swing the gang. Hold on, because now you got me questioning myself. Cool and cool and the gang. Hollywood swingers. Hollywood swinging. I was right. It's Hollywood Ah. swinging. Well, I guess you got swingers on your mind. That's the verb instead of the (laughs) noun. I don't know, but it's a good song. What was the name of what record label were they on? Do you know this? Oh shit. Well, cool in the gang or oh was it shit. You won't get it. I'll just say it to you. I, I won't get it. D Light Records. I would I would not have gotten it. But they were delightful. <laughs> anyway, now we get to the real presentations. Next up was your hero and mine, Andy Kaufman. And obviously the choice was supposed to be or would have been Jerry Lawler to induct him. And obviously, again, that it wasn't possible because of Jerry's health, but he was able to do a video from home to, you know, at least be a part of the thing and introduce Jimmy Hart, who was, you know, standing in for him there. And I mean, gosh, you know, it's it wasn't Jerry the lively Jerry, but after what he's been through at his age with that, you know, the recent stroke and everything, it's, it's great. He was able to look that good and, and do that. So we got that done. I like that. No matter where he is, is a regal chair to sit in. Well, that's in his house. Is that his house? I thought maybe he was yes. in his place in Florida. No, he's, he, I'm, I'm pretty sure. I mean, it's oh. his chair. It's okay. his throne. Uh, but I'm pretty sure that's in Memphis. He's been back in Memphis for a, a couple weeks now. All things considered, he looked and sounded pretty good. Yeah. But anyway, so here comes Jimbo. I love you, poo-poo. Jimmy Hart, the energy. He's coming down the fucking ramp. He's I think he's going to be 79 this year, right? He's either going to be 79 or he already is 79. I'm pretty daggum sure, but he's, fuck Dick Clark. Jimmy Hart is the world's youngest teenager. And did you hear the entrance music? I wish he'd have milked it a little bit longer. Eat your heart out, Rick Springfield, because she's my girl and she always will be the only one for me. And no rock and roll singer is going to take her away from me. That's impressive. It's interesting that he heard Jesse's girl and said, you know what? I need to respond. And then yes. he wrote this song as a response to that. 79 years old. Yep. Jimmy Hart, 79 years old. And you should have heard Tammy. Why not give George another chance? How about before it was Lance? Well, it was Lance Russell's nose. And then he changed it to Barbara Streisand's nose. Was that it? Yeah. Or was it the other way yeah. around? 
It, well, it was Lance Russell's nose originally, and then Barbara Streisand's nose when he was trying to get it on radio stations <laughs> outside the Memphis area. So anyway, so um, and We Hate School got tremendous uh, radio play in Memphis, I'll have you know. That is the one thing one day I'm going to ask you to go through your video collection to find me. The video of when they got Coco on guitar. And they- <laughs> Yes. <laughs> and like he has the first family do a music video where they're in like a studio playing the instruments. It's incredible. We hate school rock and roll. Anyway. And then, and then Terry Funk covered that on his album in Japan. Yes. So you have 40 year old or 35 year old Terry Funk singing, We hate school. But just think about this. Fucking Jimmy was 40 when he wrote it. So how about that? But Jimmy's been eternally youthful. Anyway, he was trying here. After two hours of SmackDown and 30 minutes of the girls, uh, the people, it seemed like we're getting a bit tired. But uh, but Jimmy, uh, you know, pumped him up and then introduced the, just barely introduced the Kaufman family, um, which was Andy's brother and sister and his daughters. And, and they were good. Especially the, the brother was very good. So no Tony Clifton though. That was disappointing. What'd I was waiting for something. I was waiting for Tony Clifton or I was waiting for the brother to like rub his face a few times and makeup would fall off. It's, it's me. I've been waiting all these years. <laughs> it's been 40 years longer. <laughs> and now, you know, show. No, I was waiting for something. Instead, it ended up just being a very nice thing that obviously meant something to the family, the brother, the sister, the daughter, and the unidentified woman. I thought that's both daughters. They were both daughters, I thought. Oh, I don't know. I didn't hear her. Well, she was young. She was, she was young, about the same age as the other daughter. I don't, that's why I say the, the family was introduced just barely. But nevertheless... So that was, that was a nice, again, with it being in the ring after SmackDown, it's already, you know, uh, past 10 o'clock Eastern. Of course, they're in California, but the people have been there for three or four hours. So I, I think they should, it was the wrestling crowd that when I was at the Hall of Fame in 2017, it was a separate standalone event. And you could tell the people came there just to see that and they were fired up to see those people and and they were more into that particular thing than I think all night this crowd that got two hours of Hall of Fame after they'd been sitting there in the building for three hours already. But nevertheless, um, again, the, the packages were the great stuff to me. The Muda package, you would have never known he didn't ever have one single match in the WWF. <laughs> but... But I, you know, they still, they showed a lot of the modern stuff. He's been a huge star in Japan for quite some time, but I don't think that people really get why he got so popular so quick in the United States, especially in WCW when he was on, you know, the national TV on TBS, but wherever he went, because Bruce Lee had only been dead for 15 years at that point. And there were no American wrestling fans, practically, the number was negligible, that followed Japanese wrestling. It was only the the hardcore tape traders, which, as we've established, it was a small 
percentage of 1% of the overall audience watching wrestling at that point in time. And again, this is not knocking. I know that now the New Japan fans are, oh, my God damn you. Brian, testify for me. 35 years ago, what percentage of the fans watching American wrestling on television closely followed Japanese wrestling? I can't even tell you a percentage. I could tell you that it's probably 8,000 people at most, maybe. Yeah, yeah, maybe. So there was still the fascination with Bruce Lee and the martial arts guy and the ninja and the, the whole thing. And Muda was the living embodiment of that. And the, the kids liked him because of the outfits and the guys thought he was cool because of the, not only the spinning kicks and the power elbows and the, the, you know, handspring elbow drive and all that stuff. But the fact that he looked like, he was really in a martial arts movie and really doing that shit. It wasn't like the, again, the, you know, aggressive tumbling or physical parkour or whatever of today where everybody's cooperating. And the moonsault, when you saw the clip of the moonsault, he got farther out and stretched his fucking feet out. Yeah, you can see and why he destroyed his knees, though, when you watch oh, those yeah. highlights. Oh, my God. Yeah, he slams he his knees can. to the mat. But everything was so quick and so athletic and such a strike. It was like Tiger Mask. It seemed like that he was really doing the special effects that you see in the martial arts movie. So he could pull it off. And that's why that everybody reacted to him. And he never had to speak a word. And Gary Hart, as his manager, was never trying to make him a baby face. That was the antithesis. So Gary wanted serious, real heat all the time. But he was just too outstanding and too different and too flashy. And it appealed to that the martial arts movies were still, you know, the main impression that a lot of Americans had of Japanese culture. Anyway, so Flair then is, is the guy inducting Muda. And a lot of people said, of course, well, you know, Sting had the classic rivalry with him, so it would have been Sting, but he, that can't be possible because Sting's under contract to AEW. So Flair in the first 15 seconds says, well, I thought they'd probably want Sting to do it. <laughs> God damn it. Do you think they wanted him to mention Sting's name and bring that up? No, not at all. So then Rick started talking about his experiences in Japan and the Steiners, possibly not the weekend for that, and Hase and Sasaki and free squats and Japanese training. And then for about 15 seconds, he mentioned meeting Buddha in Atlanta and WCW. And then he, he said, well, they wanted me to show him Atlanta. But nothing about, he was the booker during the majority of, Muda's run. And he, you know, called him the best Japanese wrestler he'd ever wrestled. And then he pulled out a list of all the other Japanese guys he ever wrestled, ignored Muda for the rest of the fucking speech, and then introduced Muda. What was that? I, I, like, it would be one thing if you could somehow say, like, and they worked for New Japan, and that made me meet Muda, but it was a jumbo Saruta. Jumbo Saruta had nothing to do with the Great Muda ever. Ever. 
Rick just started naming any Japanese wrestler he could remember. <laughs> well, because remember, he spent a lot more time working for Baba than he did for Inoki. Oh, yeah. So, oh yeah. Um, and then he and then he said, "And I wrestled Inoki. Where was I? Oh yeah, North Korea. Easy for that one to slip my mind." But anyway, so Muda came in, then was introduced and came in in full gimmick and everything, and he was walking creaky, and he doesn't speak. In, even after all these years, he didn't speak almost any English back in the WCW days, and apparently still. So there wasn't much speech, but then he spit the mist and got a big pop. So that's about, uh, I, what was his speech? Um, 35 seconds? Three sentences, maybe. Yeah. What do you think of the mask? From the side, it looked pretty cool. It almost looked like he still had jet black hair and... <laughs> and then when he turned to the front, you just see it's definitely a mask. But what do you think of the Muda mask? Well, uh, it's cool. I mean, you know, the Japanese guys, they're going back to the days of when they built that whole big apparatus for Vader, the big headpiece that shot the steam and everything. They they like outfits and gimmicks and things like that. And they're, they're it looks natural for them. I'm not sure about... You know, when they have every Japanese wrestler that ever exists spitting green and red and whatever colored mist, you know, in honor of Muda and Kabuki, can we, you know, is that a, that may be a racial thing. If you're of Asian descent, you can spit multicolored fluids. I don't know. Next up, and I like this one, and again, Probably most people are like, oh, okay, that's nice, politely applaud. But Timmy White, uh, who everybody loved, and obviously that was the statements that everybody made. They loved him, whether he was refereeing or traveling with Andre or running his bar or whatever. And, of course, Timmy just passed away I get, within the last year. So it was the best induction speech so far because it was Bradshaw and Ron Simmons. And they're both great. And they put Timmy over like crazy. And Jack Lanza got a plug. How old is Jack Lanza now? I hope he's doing well. Nobody hears. I haven't heard anything about him in ages. I guess you don't know how old Jack Lanza is now. Black Jack Lanza was born October 14th, 1935. Wow. So he is uh, 86 years old. Oh, no, excuse me. He died. December eighth, twenty twenty one. It says here. What? <laughs> Randy Atcher all over Randy again. Randy Atchered me. Did we hear about that? I am guaranteeing you. We talked about it on the air. Now I Did feel we bad. talk about it? We forgot about the passing of the legendary Blackjack Lanza. I don't remember talking about that. Little known fact, Vince McMahon stole Blackjack Lance's black hair dye and said, one day I will grow a mustache and I will oh, use this hair dye. Well, Jack Lanza had a hell of a mustache, too. I, anyway, um, so that was that there. Timmy White got yeah. inducted. And Blackjack Lanza got plugged. I hope he heard it and enjoyed the plug. Oh, come on now. Don't. Are you sure Wikipedia is correct? Bigger question here. Tim White got the Warrior Award. The one good thing you could say about the Warrior, when he introduced the idea of this, when he went into the Hall of Fame, he said it should go for people like Jimmy Miranda, 
behind right. the scenes people that the wrestlers and the staff may know and know how valuable they are, but the average person doesn't. Yes. WWE immediately morphed that into, I don't know what, Connor the Crusher got it, and then Joan London got it, and it became something more, and again, all for good reasons that these people are being honored, I guess, but it wasn't really in the... Out of left field. It wasn't in the spirit of what the warrior had introduced. Yes. This is. This was. This actually is. So this is a, a nice thing to see. Again, not that super fans who uh, have illnesses or anything, and uh, Joan London, of course, shouldn't be honored, but this is actually in the spirit of the Warrior Award. Didn't she used to work at the San Diego Zoo? Joan no, London. No, that was, that was Joan Embry. Yeah, Joan London used to work at Good Morning America. Well, I remember that Joan Embry used to come out from the San Diego Zoo with, like, tigers and lions and cute little cats. I guess Joan London didn't have cute little cats. No. So the main event of the Hall of Fame was up next. Rey Mysterio. Again, great package, great work on the highlights, but thank goodness that Conan's induction speech went on last because this was an actual Hall of Fame induction speech. And yes, Ron and Bradshaw were good talking about Timmy White, but this... No, this was, was the best Hall of Fame speech possibly ever. This was fantastic. Yeah, he was fired up and ready to go. He can talk, and he's been so close with Ray all through his life, and he took you through his career and the barriers he broke down and blah, blah, blah. And it was good nobody followed this because nobody could follow this. And to be honest, after... Conan introduced him and Ray started talking. Ray didn't follow it. Because, I mean, I like Ray Mysterio, but 30-something minutes of him, I just, I, after a while I kind of zoned out and noticed that I was checking Twitter and doing other things while I was kind of listening to this subliminally. And, you know, I th maybe it was long. Maybe it was a little long is what I have to say. What do you think? I liked it. I mean, first, again, Conan... He was the star here. He was incredible. Yeah. And he told the story. The problem then, Ray came out there and it wasn't just thanking people. It was him telling his story too. So yeah. you were hearing the same path twice within a few minutes. Now what Conan was trying to say. <laughs> and then I went to ECW. Yeah, yeah. Conan just said that. You know, that was the only thing I could say there. But a lot of it was about Conan. It was kind of like when Zabisco was inducted and his whole speech was about Bruno. Yeah. You know, it was like, and my wife said to me, Always do what Conan says. You know, everything was about Conan here. <laughs> but it was it was great. I thought this was actually uh, Conan and Ray, especially Conan here, made the Hall of Fame worth watching. Yeah. And, and that's the thing is, when you put some of the guys in these positions sometimes, whether it be a, a panel of a roast, I've seen that happen where the guys didn't really get the the idea of what the roast is or you know, inducting someone else and making a speech rather than doing a promo, whatever the case, sometimes the guys who are still great talkers in their their own way in wrestling are not necessarily the greatest speech makers or inductors or whatever. But again, you know, Conan made this thing. He was very, very good here. And that was the Hall of Fame, and Blackjack Lanza is still dead. 
Oh, stop it now. I do not goddamn remember. I love Jack Lanza. And I wasn't Randy remember. Atcher a cowboy? Yes, he was. Boy, you have a type. Just, you have a type to forget about, don't you? I just you? refuse to admit it when my childhood hero cowboys pass on to the great beyond. I'd... Uh, I swear I don't, you know, maybe I know I got a lot of things going on, a lot of pressure, a lot of outside influences. Maybe I need somebody to talk to, Brian. What do you think? Oh, I think you could use several people to talk to. Great idea. Specialists, even people noted in their fields. I'm sure there's someone for everything, but we know someone specifically for you or any of the listeners. Well, that's right. If you're out standing in a field and you'd like someone to come out and help you in that particular field... (laughs) Or if you need someone to talk to because you can't remember who in your life is dead or alive, or whatever the case may be, if you just need to bounce something off somebody before you embarrass yourself out in public on a podcast by not knowing who, which of your friends are still alive, or whatever the case, our sponsor, BetterHelp, can help you. This show is brought to you by BetterHelp. They're the ones to blame. Get your picket signs ready now and find their location. They're the ones to blame for this program, but they can also be the ones to help you become a better you. We're always growing and changing, getting to know yourself, they say, can be a lifelong process. Actually, it didn't take me long to get to know myself. It took me, oh, probably about 12, 13 years, and then from then on, I have not been able to stand myself because I got to know myself real well, and I'm a prick. But if you want to get to know yourself, you need something, somebody to bounce some things off of, somebody to help you with your coping skills and things that help you become more self-aware and understanding, figure out what you want, what you don't want, why you react the way you do, talk through things with somebody and BetterHelp connects you with a licensed therapist who can take you on that journey of self-discovery. Unlike Stacy Keebler's WWE journey, where all she discovered was how to cash a check. And folks, if you're thinking of starting therapy, again, no better place to start than BetterHelp. Give them a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You fill out the brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist that is in, hopefully in tune with your needs. You can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. And all you got to do is go to BetterHelp, that's H-E-L-P, BetterHelp.com slash J-C-E. You're going to get 10% off your first month's services. BetterHelp.com slash J-C-E. Despite the fact that we gently nudge them in the ribs every once in a while, we've had so many emails and so much feedback from different listeners in the Cult of Cornet that have tried it, liked it, and it's helped them. So maybe you can too. And then we will all be on a journey to self-discovery. Where have you? Uh, where are you on your journey to self-discovery, Brian? Have you discovered any any hidden parts of you yet? Have you landed on any un, undiscovered country? Oh no, I have cosmic consciousness, so I have full awareness of who I am and where I am at all times. In fact, I float above and through most things. But. Hmm. We have another action-packed week on the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. I wasn't ready for your plugs yet. Oh. Because I was still wondering about your journey of self-discovery. You know, since I lost weight, I'm about 50 pounds lighter than I used to be. And therefore, I've been able to get to a few more places that I couldn't reach before. 
sometimes using a flashlight. But I've I've had a journey of self-discovery over the last couple of years where I didn't even know some of these things were on me. What are you doing this uh, week on the Arcadian Vanguard podcast? Well, now, now that Leaping Lanny is done with his little speech over here, another fine week on the Arcadian Vanguard podcast network. Get information on all the shows. I'm already making jokes in my head about blowing yourself. You see what I mean? Get information about all the shows on Twitter at Super Podcasts or on Facebook at facebook.com slash Arcadian Vanguard. A few notes. Of course, with all the happenings in and around wrestling, the drama in AEW, WrestleMania, all sorts of things happening. Stay up to date with everything for free. The Wrestling News. Free daily wrestling morning newscast keeping you up to date with everything that's happening without opinion, without conjecture, without fluff. In and out, we give you the news. Actually, the... every once in a while, we'll fluff you. Well, maybe you will. But you can find out what the Wrestling News has to offer you for free. Go to thewrestlingnews.com to download it directly or look for Arcadian Vanguard to the Wrestling News. Wherever Is you it find... true that you can get fluff for free, but for a happy ending, you've got to subscribe? We are wherever you find your favorite podcast. You don't have to subscribe. You'll be happy. I'm going to get away from happy endings and get into, actually, I guess, the polar opposite. This week on Shut Up and Wrestle with Brian Solomon, his guest, Ken Patera. Oh! You want to talk about someone who will just say anything. For anyone who thinks that we just say whatever we want, go listen to this show. No filter whatsoever at suawpod.com. Or look for Shut Up and Wrestle with Brian Solomon wherever you find your favorite podcast. Once again, this week, Ken Patera, once the world's strongest man. And of course, the 605 Super Podcast, The Membership! <laughs> oh, that was a good one, and I felt strong doing it. And then you give me that little wimpy fucking sound. That's bullshit. <laughs> New episode up right now, opening day Star Wars, baseball and wrestling talk. With the stars of Arcadian Vanguard and the Super Podcast, hear it today, 605pod.com, available wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Look for the 605 Super Podcast. The Mothership! Yeah. That's better than the other sound. That was bullshit. Alrighty. Should we talk about WrestleMania? Yes. Okay. <laughs> so... This, of course, was night one. Only four hours. I don't know how they got by in such a quick amount of time. But night one of WrestleMania, that as I mentioned, I had to watch on the Pacock! Pacock! Because it's not big enough for pay-per-view anymore. But um, I'm telling you, the stadium looked fantastic. And boy, howdy. Go back and look at the entranceway of WrestleMania 10 in Madison Square Garden and look at that stage in that whole elaborate setup. It looks like it, they made WrestleMania 10 look like a goddamn Smoky Mountain show at the Clinch Valley High School gym. Yeah, but WrestleMania um, 10, there was no overhead for that entrance. Well, exactly. There was zero dollars. There was nothing over our heads. They could throw anything they wanted right down on top of it. Yes, they. it was a curtain and a fucking rope and um boy how the budget has increased but anyway they opened up with cena and austin theory for the u.s title and i think that was probably the best decision because the people 
right off the bat, they're seeing one of the major stars they want to see, John Cena. At the same time, he's able to be in as advantageous a spot as possible to get the maximum response because they haven't seen anything yet. Because John's, you know, he's coming there to do business for him, to get a guy like Austin Theory over, to do business for WrestleMania, but at the same time, he can't be going out there and taking fucking flips through tables and shit because he's a goddamn movie star. So they had a match, and it was good that they were able to have a match before people had seen a bunch of other chaos. And when John comes out on stage with the Make-A-Wish kids, I mean, how could you not like that? He's literally done over 600 of them, the most make-a-wishes ever from anybody. He's the ultimate baby face. Yeah, I mean, and he generally, you know, he does that. He wants to do that. He, You know, you could do some for publicity or whatever, but to do 600, you know, you're doing something on purpose. And, you know, I think it was perfect theory and Cena because if this was the much vaunted OVW class of 2002... Austin Theory would be the John Cena. Think about it. He would, of of anybody currently in the WWE, who kind of parallels sees he's in great physical condition. He's a natural in the ring. He's more natural as a worker than John. He's not as natural as, um, natural at, at speaking as John was, but they're, close to the same age as John was when he was here in Louisville, as Theory is now. And if I had Theory in OVW, he would be my OVW champion. As a heel, he'd be my top guy. So there's kind of a parallel, and it was interesting in seeing a guy come along that, you know, 20 years later is kind of in the same spot and about to go probably in the same direction. And I like the way that they worked this because they just needed enough of John to do a couple of things at the start. And then theory cuts him off so he can fight from underneath. Cause it's about the theory and John sells well and fires up from underneath. Well, but theory stayed in control and he was taking his time. He wasn't rushing. He was working the people. He wasn't going a hundred miles an hour. And that I think, you know, registered. And he, he did the biting thing. He To take over on John, he bit Cena's ear and then got on him. And then later on, uh, when Cena got him in the STF, he bit his hand to get out of it. Because he's being a heel. And every once or in a while... Or an AEW agent. Well, there you go. But, uh, you know, so Austin Steele. So anyway... um. John would get a hope spot, but then he'd get shut back down. But of course he was directing the traffic in this. And that's one thing about John. He's not a ventriloquist, is he? When he calls something, he's always been bad about that. Yeah. If, if, if the other guy doesn't hear it, the people in the front row can fill him in. Anyway, finally, John makes the big comeback, goes for the, would they rename the FU the attitude adjustment, but they bumped the referee. Cena gets the F- STF 
Theory is tapping, but there's no referee. John gets up, see where the referee's at. Goes back to Theory. Theory hits the fucking nut shot. Boom. And then picks him up and hits his finish. A-Town down, one, two, three. Theory beats Cena. And at least it's good to know that they agreed with us that that's the thing they should do because that was pretty much the thing they needed to do. And I didn't think that John would come back just to beat this guy. And also after that promo. See, remember, now the promo makes more sense where he just fucking tore him up one side and down the other. And I said, Jesus Christ. After that theory better win, well, he was going to. And now we know that. So not a good good opener and a big step for Austin Theory. Good opener. Nice entrance for Cena. It actually really was nice to see those kids and how happy they were on that stage and how much time he gave to them. Can you imagine being that age and whatever they've gone through and then being out there with your favorite wrestling star in that biggest stadium with 80,000, well, not 80, with 60-something thousand declared as 80,000 people watching you. That had to be great. Cena naturally looked older than he has, and a lot of people have been focusing on the bald spot. He didn't have a tan, but obviously he wasn't coming back to work a full-time thing or even a part-time thing. It was just to set up this match and have this match, and he's put over Austin Theory, so I guess the big question is, will Cena ever wrestle again? Because a lot of people seem to think that his five-knuckle shuffle was the last time we will ever see that. Oh, fuck. And then where do we go now with Theory? Uh, well, it, it, no, this John Cena is not going to not ever wrestle again. It's not a regular thing, but how old is he now? Can he, he's not, is he past 45? John Cena is 45 years old. Okay. He's going to wrestle again for several million dollars someplace. Um, but it's he's still an attraction because it's not often and it's not done to death. I've and boy, I'm I'm glad you mentioned that. He could have done a spray on tan. That that wouldn't have taken up a lot of time, but it may have helped him a little bit. But otherwise than that, he stays in good shape and he got the point across here. And then we had our showcase tag team match, the street sweepers. And the Vikings and Otis and Shush and Brown Strongman and Ricochet. And that was a good time for me to go take a shit. What happened? A fun, chaotic four-way match with lots of wackiness. And eventually Braun Strowman was doing his choo-choo train around the ring. And Dawkins cut him off with a beautiful tackle. And then there was a few high spots. And the Street Profits came away with a big victory. That, uh... It appeared was in the hands of Ricochet, and Braun Strowman and Ricochet did a shooting star press from the ring to the floor. That was very impressive before he lost. Anyway, next, Seth Franklin Rollins and Logan Paul. And we mentioned that we didn't want to hear any of the interviews, but we did want to see the match. And it came out exactly as we thought. We did want to see the match, but we didn't want to hear the interviews. Except the entrances, Seth got the orchestra, right? And Logan Paul, the big blue drink bottle. Did he get the orchestra or just the conductor? 
Well, I don't know. I was skipping it. There was no on-screen fast-forward, and I was trying to get to the fucking match, so no. I saw a conductor. Yeah, it was a conductor conducting the fans and singing his music. Oh, okay. Well, that's even worse. But that's what I saw. I saw a conductor of an orchestra and a big blue drink bottle for the entrances, so I got straight to the fucking bell. You know, they don't really need conducting. They pretty much know how to sing Seth's song. It's, oh, eh, oh. Whoa, right? I don't know. Anyway, what a fucking match. Logan Paul, he's not completely smooth, but he's so athletic he makes up for it. And I say not smooth because he's green. Well, you know, he doesn't have instant automatic muscle memory of when you get shot off exactly how to hit the ropes or drop down to the smooth step or whatever, but he's so athletic that he makes up for it. What is this, uh, three matches or four matches in front of people now? Oh, at least four, I would say. But still, as a former talent scout, if I saw, if this guy was not a famous person, if he was just a schlub out there at a wrestling school that had been trained even by, you know, really good veterans, but had only had three or four matches in front of people, and this was a tryout match, I would go to Vince and rave about him. He's got, and he's, he's got a great heel attitude and facials and he understands. Cause I guess he's a fan. He understands what this shit's supposed to look like. Having said that Seth was the traffic cop here. He was calling the whole thing. He was keeping. And if you have a critical eye, it was not always easy to keep Logan Paul moving in the right direction or in the right placement, but he did it. But yeah, Logan Paul is a natural at this, and he's aggressive. Did you see the leaping moonsault from the mat to the top rope in one leap and then without pausing a leap off? I mean, you know, that's yeah. just balance and athleticism. And of course, he missed that on purpose so that Seth could make a big comeback and throw him over the top rope and hit the three big dive tackles and stomp the, uh, remember Logan Paul has a titanium screw in his hand for that knockout punch. So Seth stomped the hand on the stairs, hit the curb stomp. And then my favorite exchange, they went through a series of cradle covers and then they both popped up and Logan Paul hit the, one of the sweetest fucking knockout punches on Seth, I've ever seen, sold his hand. Seth dropped like a fucking stone. And then it would cover and two count because it took a second for Logan Paul to sell his hand first. And that got a big pop. But what a fucking punch. And what a sell. That's one for the highlight reel. So then they did a couple of things, but then the blue bottle at ringside. What was it, an energy drink that Logan Paul has a piece of or something? That's, I believe, what they said, yes. So the blue bottle, as Seth is about to put him away, pulls Logan Paul out on the floor and reveals his face, and it is some friend of Logan Paul's named KSI. Pulled Logan Paul out to the floor. They get on the floor. Logan posts Seth. They clear off the announcer's desk. The bottle has now got his cell phone filming Seth on the announce desk. Is this no DQ? 
Are, are, are blue drink bottles allowed to just help in the match at any point, whether it's a no DQ or not? I don't remember it being no DQ, so I don't know. So the bottles are, are immune from referees' rulings. But anyway, the idea is Logan Paul is going to do a splash off the top rope onto Seth on the announce desk, and the blue bottle is going to film it with the camera. But at the last second, Seth pulls the blue bottle onto the desk and Logan Paul splashes the blue bottle through the desk. Which was a hell of a fucking splash. And timed perfectly. And then Seth throws him back in the ring and hits the pedigree and gets a two count. And that's I was like, what the fuck? They're still going? So they continue. And... Logan Paul hits a go to sleep at a frog splash and a two count. And now Seth is selling. But Logan Paul goes for the coast to coast. But Seth pops up and hits a super kick. And then a curb stomp. One, two, three. I don't know why they did the last three things. After the splash off the top, rolls him in, hits a pedigree. Seth is winning anyway. Why wasn't that it? They really needed another super kick and a curb stomp and to lose the momentum they had off of that awesome spot. So except for the bottle being involved and the visual of that and not making the pedigree the finish, I thought this was great. But they could have had the fucking friend do the same thing. But if being dressed as a blue energy drink bottle just made the whole thing look like you know, a fucking cartoon like it normally does whenever the new day is out or shoosh boy or the rest of the underneath talent. This was a top match. I don't think they need to be silly. Speaking of uh, being good at it and getting attention, neither one of those things happened next. Now it was the six girl tag Trish and Lita and Becky against Bailey and Kai and Sky. Reminds me of, Bruiser and Crusher and Andre the Giant against fucking Mulkey Brothers and Barry Horowitz. Um, I had things to do at this point in time. What did I miss? I didn't watch this match. There was no way I was going to okay. watch this match. No, I don't care. I mean, again, you know, the the star power just is so lopsided here. Lita's not the greatest in the ring right now. Trish hasn't been in the ring in a long time. It's Becky and Bailey and her group, and that doesn't work for me. I mean, it's it's weird. In one company, you have a completely substandard women's division with one or two exceptions. And here, you have an okay women's division, and then you have a lot of stuff I don't care about, and then you have the best that there's ever been, you know, in some cases. But I didn't care about this match, and I don't know why anyone would. Well, we'll get to the best there's ever been in the female division here in a minute. Um... Dominic versus Ray, the Battle of the Mysterios. And okay, I've got to admit it. Whoever came up with the idea for Dominic's entrance, it was great. They deserve a raise. They bring him out in a prison van with guards. He gets out of the thing. He's in handcuffs. They walk him to the ring and uncuff him at ringside. Good old ex-condom. I mean, that's... Uh, that was beautiful. And the thing about Dominic is he's not an ass kicker. He's not, you know, a, a, a heel that needs to go on a 
long winning streak because he gets such fucking, he's a chicken shit heel that gets such heat being a chicken shit and being an asshole and whatever the case that, you know, you can do a variety of things with him and of everybody else on the, this wasn't the, my favorite match on the show, but of everybody on the fucking show, top to bottom, Dominic has not just improved, but made leaps and bounds over the last, what, two years? Just the last year. Just look at the last year. You know, last year, I think he was still teaming with his dad at WrestleMania. And in one year, he's become one of my favorite, I'll use the word performer, because it's really less about his in-ring stuff than anything else. One of my favorite people in the business. Like his stuff, the promos the last few weeks, the thing with his mom and his sister, <laughs> the idea that everyone knows he got arrested for that little incident in his house and he was out right away and he acts like he was in prison. I mean, this has all been working really, really well. Well, and you said, you know, performer, but, and remember we were talking about a year ago or a year and a half ago, well, he looks so young and it just doesn't, there was no need to have the baby face, cheery Dominic with Rey Mysterio. He was just a cheesy kid, but this transformation he he's great. And in the ring, I wrote at the start, we're going to see how good Dominic is here because he's going to be as good as he can be against his father. And, you know, with a, a veteran like Ray, knowing what to do and how to do it and it being his son and wanting him to get over and Dom working as hard as he could. This was fucking it, Dominic was with him on every step and some complicated shit. And he was right there. Um, I don't, and I love that Di Ray came out in the low rider with Eddie's music. Of course, it was driven by Snoop Dogg. We'll see more of him later on. And the father versus son match with all of this horrible animosity and heartbreak was sponsored by Cinnamon Toast Crunch. And that's it's fine. They want to sponsor a match, but now the lighted boards on the side of the ring and the, the barricade, it's all lit up cinnamon. It looked like a new day match with all the fucking Cheerios or whatever. But anyway, um, I think the Dominic versus hook whose future is brighter contest has been decided, uh, decisively should have had Conan come out in the car with Snoop Dogg and Ray after that speech the night before, you know what? That would have been, well, they probably figure we don't, Conan does not under contract to us. We're not going to put him out there for WrestleMania. No, I know. I can see the reason why, but I don't know. It felt like after the night before, yeah. they should have done that. Yeah. But anyway, so Ray shined a little bit at the start, and, and he always constructs his matches to where they can take over quick his opponents, and he can sell from underneath because he's a smaller guy. But he did some good shit at the start and then took his belt off and whipped Dominic with it. I thought they were going to do your finish. What a pop it got. He didn't tap out on it, though. You had to and do then, it, though. You had to do a spanking you spot. To. Yeah. You had to. But then Dominic goes to the floor, and there's sister and mom, and he grabs the sister's drink and throws it in her face, and she starts to climb over the, the railing, and Ray comes and holds her back, and Dominic cuts him off. So what a great heat spot, again. And Dominic did not get nervous and did not let 
the stadium and WrestleMania and everything else get the better of him. He was still working people. He was making faces. He wasn't rushing. You know, he did everything that you could have asked him to do. And finally, at you know, he goes back to his mother and taunting her, and she smacks him. And that starts Ray making a comeback. And he's kicking Dominic's ass, but here comes Damian Priest and Finn Balor to ringside. There's going to be shenanigans. And did you see the, I don't even know what it, if it has a name, but the flipping face buster to the bottom buckle that Dominic gave to Ray. Yeah, I saw the referee went right over to Ray to make sure he was okay. He saw it too. Yeah. Well, and, and Ray took it. He ran, flipped up upside down into Dominic and Dominic just goes backwards and Ray took it the rest of the way over. But holy shit, that looked good. And then Ray foiled the, the three amigos, stopped him and hit a six one nine, but priest interfered. And that's when the Lucha suits came out and attacked priest and Balor and they fought off. And then Dominic hit Ray with a six one nine and a frog splash for a two count. And then Dominic goes over and takes the turnbuckle pad off. And as the referee comes over and says, you can't do that. And he's putting the turnbuckle pad back on. Dominic goes over to where Priest has left his suit jacket laying on the corner of the ring and pulls a logging chain out. Why don't they use a good old dog choker chain like we always used to? that you could actually hide and you could hit somebody with wrapped around your fist and not kill your own self. They're always these six foot chains, but as he's got the chain bugs, bunny, he's back. He's been doing commentary at the announce desk. He comes up and grabs the chain and allows Ray to hit the six, one, nine, and then the frog splash one, two, three. So, Lots of interference at the end, but the match couldn't have been better. And Dominic more than held up his part. I thought this was this was my actually this was my second favorite match of the night. I liked Cena in theory for the result and the star power. Um, this was very good. We haven't got to my favorite match yet, but uh, so far they're. I can't, if night two's better than night one, we got something. We'll see what happens. What'd you think here? I thought it was really good. I enjoyed it. I was into the whole thing. I know you called him Bugs Bunny, but I didn't mind Bad Bunny being involved. If this is going to build a Dominic at Bad Bunny, that's interesting in terms of where they see Dominic. Hey, listen, I know people that were in that building. They said when they introduced Bad Bunny before this match, he was the most over guy on the show up to that point. How? Because he's a major, he's a major music star that crosses genres right now. Suzanne and the kids love him. I've never listened to one of his songs. And he's a big star, so I don't have a big problem with him being involved. And him and Dominic, he's not a big guy, so him and Dominic could make some sense. Or maybe some dollars if they do it right. It's been said that Triple H thinks that Dominic has a big future there. Do you see it now? I mean, we didn't see it a year ago, but do you see it now? Yes. Well, again, a year ago, as a smiling baby face kid tag along to Ray, there wasn't much there. And he didn't have a a physique or a, a look that, 
you know, one would expect or one would think was going to get people excited about liking him. But all of those weaknesses as a heel become strengths. Yes, he he does have to cover that, you know, uh, lack of upper body up with a full body outfit, but he's supposed to be a Weasley kid and a chicken shit and all that stuff. So this works now. And the personality that he's found and brought out in himself is great. It's not, it's not a gimmick that's going to switch to, you know, he's going to become a baby face and not have to change anything, but he can run as a while or run for a while as a heel like this. You keep him with priest because if you're going to have him as a chicken shit and need some kind of muscle. Yeah. I think in the, in the group, and, you know, here's the problem is the thing that really made him look good was him and Mommy. But if Mommy's a stone-cold baby face now, which she just about is after this next match, <laughs> That's and interesting. Yeah. It, it, it doesn't work. And it's better for Rhea, but it might not be as good for for Dominic that, you know, Mommy can't be there. And they can't switch Dominic baby face. So, he needs to be in the judgment day, but the best part of the package was Dominic and Rhea together. And maybe, you know, maybe mommy can have a split personality. Who knows? Speaking of mommy, holy mackerel. Okay. The best match. Uh, I will keep you in suspense. No further. The best match of WrestleMania night one was the girls match. I'm not talking about the girls tag team four-way fiasco. I'm talking about the actual girls wrestling match that took place. Charlotte versus Rhea Ripley. This not only was several levels above any other women's match in mostly in WWE or in AEW, this was above 80% of the fucking men's matches in any company. And... They both look like wrestlers. They look like stars. They can work. They're believable. They got personality. Both of them are different, so you can easily tell them apart. They laid their shit in. It was a back-and-forth struggle. It was not smooth by design. They were working stiff and struggling to make a contest and a fight and show emotion. And... For anybody who thinks I don't like women's wrestling, no, I don't like bad women's wrestling, which is what most of it is. But again, I say this was not only better than all of the other girls' matches, but most of the guys' matches. Because you had the combination of everything. There's no little fucking five-foot-tall, 98-pound, made-up Barbie doll twit. No fancy fucking gymnastics and round-offs and tumbling. No girly punches. Both these girls, the ultimate compliment that was ever given in the wrestling business to any of the female performers, they work like guys. That's a positive. That's a plus. And that's what they did. And this match was incredible. And they took us on a ride. Some of those wicked German suplexes, and especially Rhea hit one, where Charlotte went face first, and since the only thing in this match that didn't make sense was after Charlotte got planted face first, she was back up moments later on offense. Apparently, 
she was going for the full flip and didn't quite make it. And they didn't change with the, and go with the flow there. But I mean, she skinned her nose. Oh yeah. I'm surprised she didn't break it. They were each hitting their big moves. You know, Charlotte hits the moonsault off the top to the floor. Rhea hits the riptide. Rhea flips her shit and gets a standing clover leaf, and Charlotte gets the ropes. And the more this went on, you could also tell the fans were more and more solidly behind Rhea, the idea she would win. They wanted to see a title change. And it wasn't because Charlotte was not being a good baby face. It was because they wanted to see Rhea win and they wanted to see a title change. And so when they got into the yay boo, the people were going crazy, but Rhea's punches were the yay and Charlotte's were the boo. And that's why I'm saying they've got to decide in the office there whether they keep Mommy and Dominic and Mommy and the Judgment Day, for that matter, together for an okay upper middle card type of group or whether they realize that they may have the biggest female star that they've had in the past 20 years on their fucking hands now and concentrate on her. And Charlotte needs to be a heel. And well, here's the thing. I don't care if they switch Charlotte heel. They can do whatever they want. But the point is the people have clearly shown in this instance, it's not that they're rioting against Charlotte being a baby face against anybody. It's that they picked Rhea here. And so if they, and that's why I think Charlotte was sitting there when the match was over smiling and looking up like, yeah, you got me because they, they still want her to be a baby face. If they'd wanted her to switch heel, she'd have bitched and griped about it, but she kind of, gave the I'm accepting this because she's earned my respect type of thing so Charlotte can be a baby face against somebody else. But, again, if they're smart, they won't rematch this on free television and they won't rematch it at all right away, but they will build, is it, I think SummerSlam's quick, is it Survivor Series, whatever the case, Royal Rumble, now we need a rematch, and this time Rhea going in as champion and the clear baby face, and by then Charlotte may very well be a heel again, and now you got a brand new look, and do that fucking match again. And that would be a selling point for a pay-per-view, unlike 98% of all the other women's matches in the business, this actually, that rematch belongs on pay-per-view. I'd make that one of the main events of SummerSlam. Ripley Charlotte three. Uh, it's it's a little quick. May June July it's three months. What well, is let's, July now? Yeah, I, mean, I still think of it as the end of August. You're right about that. Um, what it is? No, it is in July this year, right? Yeah, I think you're right. Yes. I'm saying when I was yeah. a kid, it was the end of August. Okay, it was August. Yeah, but well, still three months, four months. Let's milk it a little bit. But but anyway, the 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 match back and forth. Um, and finally, the finish was they were fighting up on top, trying to get. An advantage, and Rhea dropped Charlotte face first on the top of those big square posts with the LED lights and everything, and then sat up on top and muscled her into the riptide position or that pump handle slam thing she does, and did that off the ropes, boom, 
right on the back of Charlotte's head. One, two, three. And again, just, you know, wow. That, if you didn't see so many frilly, silly, girly girls matches with this fucking, these diminutive pixies that just muddle everything up and muddy the water, this is the kind of women's wrestling that people will pay to see. And that's why I'm saying you find your Ripley, you find your Charlotte, you find a Bianca and maybe a Becky with the personality. She doesn't have the size, but she's got the mouth. And you focus on a small handful of the best in the business and just feed them on television whenever they need to wrestle. Feed them miscellaneous girls that you can find anywhere. And then match up your stars on pay-per-view and you've got women's wrestling people will pay to see. When it has to be half of the whole goddamn show constantly, then it doesn't do a match like this any service because people like me go, goddamn, I'd like to see some fucking violence and brutality in my wrestling, not a bunch of girls cheerleaders. This was violent and brutal. This was an excellent match. This was probably the greatest women's match to ever take place in North America. Rhea Ripley, you know, you always say about MJF, a generational talent. Rhea Ripley's a generational talent. Yeah. Watch the way she sells, the way she does power the facial moves. reactions. The one, what spot was it? The DDT, she almost took it on the top of her head, and she went over, but she shot her body over. I mean, the impact yeah. of it. I don't even know how to describe it. As you could tell. But Rhea Ripley is so good. I think Charlotte's best served as a heel. Because I think fans are predisposed. They want to boo her. Yeah. You got to give them a reason to. A couple of years ago, our favorite match at WrestleMania was Charlotte and Rhea Ripley. This was worlds better and than that, that was match. The, and uh, that was the pandemic. That was the pandemic. Right? Yeah. No crap. And the reason why we liked that, as I recall, was because... That was the only match on the card where they actually made having no people in the building work for them and work snug and, and you could hear the smack of the meat in the flesh when they were hitting each other and they didn't go off kilter and try to have a ridiculous fight that looks goofy when there's nobody around. And in this case, it was a completely different match, much better obviously not only because there were people and because they were given more time, but also because Rhea Ripley's three years better, but can't say enough good about this one. And, and I will, I will watch them wrestle any fucking time. And I can't wait again to see Rhea Ripley and Bianca Belair. Cause I think they're great together. But when I get so I'm not even mad, just frustrated with the AEW women's division, which at times is like Jamie Hayter and a bunch of people. And I, can't, I wish Hater was over here for all this. The problem is, there's too many women, it seems like, in wrestling that decided, hey, I want to be wrestlers. And they go in the back, they put on their trunks, they pull it up so their ass is hanging out, and then they skip to the ring, and they just do little sequences or little things that have nothing to do with wrestling, and they have no wrestling instincts. They're just doing wrestling. I'm doing wrestling now. And then you see something like this, which is as good as it gets. And it's not like just this is WrestleMania, the biggest stage, big match, great opponent. Rhea Ripley's always great. 
Charlotte's really good. Sometimes she's not great, but she's really good. <laughs> Bianca Belair is great. But then you see, like, that, that's why I always said AEW shouldn't have even had a women's division. They didn't have the people to staff it. You didn't have the people. Here they got the people. And the top people here, Rhea Ripley especially, is as good as it gets ever yeah. in North America. And that's, you know, another thing I've said is that it drags down the overall average quality of your show when you specifically go out there to, as the WWE often does, Tony is not that bad because he doesn't have enough of them, but when you're trying to make half the men's matches and half the card women's matches, there are a lot better male talents and more of them in the wrestling business than there are female talents. So if you're going for the the absolute best talent regardless of gender, then it'd probably be about 85-15. But when you try to make it 50-50, then you've left off 35% of the fucking guys that would be better than the 35% of the girls you brought in. And then you've diluted your whole fucking show. So it doesn't have to all be equal. Female wrestling should still be an attraction, something different from the normal fare, then it would stand out more and then you could concentrate on the people that could really do it rather than trying to fill the fucking shoes once you brought them all home from the shoe store. You don't need that many to begin with. Yeah, and I like classic All Japan women's wrestling. All those women went through heavy training to get to where they were. It wasn't just like anyone became a wrestler. You had to really go through the system, go through the ringer and prove it. Oh, good. It wouldn't even be legal to do in this country to train women or anybody the way they trained those women back then. It'd be some kind of lawsuit. So anyway, speaking of a lawsuit, can we, can we sue Miz for impersonating a wrestler again? He wasn't advertised to wrestle, but right before the main event, I guess maybe as a little, I don't know, segue to get the people calmed down from the girls match. There was Miz and Snoop Diggity Dog in the ring. And I wasn't going to watch this, but then I see Pat McAfee coming out. And Pat McAfee gets in the ring and briefly wants to fight Miz. And Miz can't fight because he's the host and he's not dressed. And Pat gets tiny balls going amongst the crowd. And then mcafee said i like pat mcafee he's got all kinds of personality and we love the promos and etc we want to see more of him to be quite honest we thought his work was fantastic for a novice until we saw logan paul and now i think logan paul's a little bit better than pat mcafee on the physical pat still got the golden voice but but the worst wardrobe the worst wardrobe and the, so mcafee asked isn't there somebody around here that can make a match between me and Miz official and Snoop Dogg standing there. He said, I can do that. Yeah, make the match. And so now Snoop Dogg is making matches. And McAfee gets on Miz and they did some stunts and he hit Miz with his punt, kick, one, two, three. And some friend of McAfee's in colored clown shorts was involved. I think he was a football player. I was trying to get to the main event. He was a football player. They introduced him earlier. Good. Well, at least everybody knew who he was by then. Hey, look, they needed to do something to break up the women's match and the tag match. Not saying this needed to be it, <laughs> but they had to do something. 
Couldn't they have, have run in a dancing bear or something? All right, so then I thought it was going to be the main event, but instead we got a rap performance by, what was this guy's name, Little Uzi Burns? I forget what his name was. Little Uzi Burns, who, who may be the cousin of Lil Al Vavasur. We're not sure. It's spelled the same way, L-I-L. Uh, it was abysmal and quickly skipped. He was rapping. We wrapped that up. And then it was time for our main event of night one. And again, I got to be honest with you, they should have made Rhea and Charlotte main event. And I thought tag title match lights out match after this, I think they should have just reversed the order because it was a happy ending either way. Ah, you didn't want me to talk about happy endings anymore. I don't think the audience would have reacted the way they did to the Rhea Ripley match if that was on after this. Because of the way things have been built up, you couldn't, yeah. have, you couldn't have something after the big pop of Sammy and Owens getting their win. Eh, true. It just, it was such a much better match. I'm not even going to knock Sammy and, and Owens here. Um, you, you just knew that the French Canadians were going to pull something out, some death-defying stunt or whatever. I want to like the Usos. I love this story so much. The Usos, to me, I don't see great tag team. There's nothing wrong with them, but I don't see great tag team. I don't see Midnight Express. I don't see Tully and Arn. I don't see Rock and Roll Express. I don't see Bulldogs. I don't see Heart Foundation. Maybe it's part of that they've been presented, as I said before in the program, as Roman's flunkies in a lot of cases, in a lot of confrontations. And part of it is that they have the modern style of working, but would you say either Uso is really a a really sharp, accomplished, I'm not talking technical wrestler in terms of mat wrestling, I'm talking about the execution of all their shit is smooth and crisp. Eh. Not necessarily, and I think the Bloodline storyline has been great for them, and they've been excellent in it. They've had some really good matches, but there aren't a lot of Uso matches I've been a big fan of. I was never a big fan of their in-ring stuff as much as I've loved everything else with them recently. They ain't FTR in the ring, but unfortunately for FTR, they were in the main event at WrestleMania, whereas FTR is in the main event over at fucking cocaine tony's place um anyway they they started the match they quickly cut sammy off and started getting heat on him because again that's what his best quality in the ring has always been to me even back in the el generico days as a baby face selling that's where he and fighting back that's where he shines and the drunk leg stagger walk dish rag body he's fucking great and they started slow because after all the fans had seen, they needed to keep a place to go at the end. So they put this together well early on. You know, again, they, they gave Kevin a tag so he could make a comeback. The first comeback he made was on the floor where he's just splash him on the floor and then get back in the ring. And it's hard to make a comeback on the floor that earlier in the match, but he wanted to save his big comeback for in the ring. We saw that later on. So anyway, then they cut Kevin off because they're going to get some heat on Kevin. And 
There were a ton of super kicks and top rope splashes in this match, to be honest. A lot of them. Um, and it went back and forth. And again, they cut Sammy off again and worked him over in multiple super kicks. And this was the point where they started having a more modern match. And some of the things took me out of it. Like they they did the thing where while they're two-on-one against Sammy... Owens is on the floor somewhere out of sight forever. What the fuck? I couldn't even remember what had happened to him last. I was like, is he dead? People would come back from fucking multiple sclerosis quicker than, but they have to wait for their spot. That's a modern match in. I can't even remember a match in the territory days where the fucking partner just goes down to the floor and lays there for minutes at a time. They're either taken out or they get, you know, it, it just, it distracts me because I keep looking around for fucking dipshit. Where is he? Where is he? Anyway, as soon as the Usos go for the 1D, uh, that's where Owens appears fresh as a daisy and foils it suddenly. So they double choke slam him through the desk. He's gone again. At least he's got a reason to be gone then. And then they hit the 1D on Sammy and get a two count, but he kicks out. And they beat up Sammy some more, and finally Owens struggles to the apron again. Hot tag. Now he makes his big comeback. And again, the, a lot of false finishes with a lot of super kicks. The people are up. Everybody's doing super kicks. They like them. And finally, the Usos both come off the top on Owens. Cover, one, two count. Big pop for the kick out. And then all, everything comes to a halt again. And then one of the Usos and Kevin get in the corner and have a little conversation where they remember what's going on. And then more super kicks. Now, I guess that's what I'm saying is that they have to do such intricate, convoluted, complicated shit over and over and over in the modern style matches and or eliminating one or more of the participants for long lengths of time that it takes me out of it because I know the people are loving the chaos, but I'm sorry. I just naturally follow a match for does it make sense? Because that was the most important thing back when you had to actually draw money on your own. Anyway, so Sammy then throws Jimmy over the desk and Owens hits the fisherman suplex off the top rope onto the other Uso and tags Sammy. And that's a big pop. And Sammy gives Jay the big halluva kick and again, and a third one cover one, two, three and big celebration. Cause they did. And you could tell they were both broken up and emotional. Cause there they are. You know, uh, fat ass and Forrest Gump sitting there in the ring in front of 75,000 people at a stadium just main eventing WrestleMania. So they were legitimately touched. And you could tell. So it, it the people, that was the right result. It was a good match. People loved it. A little modern for my taste in spots where they just take the liberties. Uh, but overall, exactly what they needed to do, don't you think? It's the result that it, I thought it had to be going into what I think has to happen tonight as we are recording, and I think we have to go into Raw with the Bloodline having lost all their championships, and then we see what happens with Roman and the rest of the family. Do they abandon him, or does he turn on them 
but a good first night of WrestleMania. This match, I think, had to be the main event. And I think that they gave the people what they wanted. It took, for me, a little bit to get into it because the Ripley-Charlotte match is an all-timer. That match was incredible. And it's like following Steamboat and Savage. How do you follow a match like that? By the end of this, they got people really into it. Too many super kicks for me. If you squinted, this is like what Owens and Zayn versus the Young Bucks could have been. But I thought it was yeah, a good well, match. Yeah, well, but at least the Usos are grown adult men. That's so true. So that does help. That's true. But I thought it was a good match, and I thought the last few minutes were really great just because the fans were really into it. And the uh, Haluva kick, whenever I've read it in print, I thought it was the hell of a kick. Well, I think that's part of the rib. It's spelled like that. But, you know, I guess El Generico couldn't cuss because he was involved with the orphanage in Mexico. I think the reason I don't like it is just it sounds like something Excalibur would say. The hello, kick. (laughs) So I just don't want to say it. But by the time he hit the third one and Jey Uso's just standing there, his head is like, you know, uh, slouched down. It was a great moment. And it ends WrestleMania night one on the right note. In the old school way, the traditional way, I guess, WWE used to like to send people home happy. They did so here this night. Well, and sometimes that's what you need to do. And I'll tell you what, I made a big mistake in Smoky Mountain Wrestling in my booking when we had built the, remember the three-team, nine-man street fight, Bobby Eaton and Tom Pritchard and Stan Lane, the Heavenly Bodies, against Robert Fuller, Jimmy Golden, and Dutch Mantel, the Stud Stable, against the Rock and Roll Express and Arn Anderson. And all three teams hated each other. And we had that big three-way street fight at the Bluegrass Brawl. But two weeks later in Knoxville and Johnson City, we were doing a three-way tag match for the belts. And I thought, well, goddamn, if the baby faces win this street fight, then the heat's going to be off the heels going into Knoxville and Johnson city. So I had the bodies fuck the rock and roll and then come back to though. And, and it just in the building, it, it was a great match, but the finish would have been an all time pop. And instead the heels winning deflated the people. I should have given them the fucking baby face win and then done something either heat after or even just let it go with that and done something else for television before the next big shows. But I did sometimes you have to give the people what they expect to see and what they'd like to see. You can't give it all to them all the time, or then they get they get placated because they always get what they want. And then if they're, they weren't mad at the heels and they're not upset about anything, there was no reason to fucking go. You're not going to go buy a ticket, to see the fucking baby face lose. That'd be insane. So sometimes you have to give the people what they expect, even if it's expected or they lose faith in whether they're going to see it the next time they want to pay to see it or not. So to put a bow on night one, Looking at the results, would you say that the results to the matches are exactly what they should have been? Other than the matches you didn't pay attention to, like the... Well, yeah, then that nobody would give a shit either way. Yeah, the four teams or whatever. No, yes, everything we were talking about, unless this is going to be an ongoing thing where it's going to continue with Cena and Theory. Theory needed to win, and he did. Ray beat Dominic, which he should have, but at the same time that doesn't hurt Dominic's heat because he's that type of heel that he can lose and keep it. 
Rhea definitely needed to win the belt from Charlotte. That propelled her a step up. And as we've mentioned, you know, if not even... I didn't know whether they ought to take all the belts at one time, but obviously this is going to be part of the story that they're going to be telling. So, but you couldn't fucking beat Sammy and Kevin, uh, you know, especially on last in this particular instant instance, because that would have pissed oh. people off. So every, every finish was what it should have been. I can't even imagine what it would have felt like if they had ended this show with the Usos winning. Oh, no, no. I, I can't even imagine that was in serious discussion. So, yeah, ever. But anyway, well, this is my show, ain't it? Sure is, and you could have it. Well, we're done with it, because now <laughs> we're going to tag you in, and we're going to watch night two of WrestleMania and the Raw after WrestleMania, and we are going to immediately turn around and record all of our comments and thoughts and everything on that on the drive through that will be out probably even earlier than normal this week, just because we're just so on the ball, right? Right, and it will certainly be out earlier, the clips from the WrestleMania review on YouTube. So stay tuned to the official Jim Cornette YouTube channel. We're going to have a lot of clips going up earlier than the podcast episode itself will be released. Just sit down in your chair in front of your computer, go to YouTube, and just watch for things to happen. Don't leave for the next 48 hours or so. Even if you need food, we'll feed you. We'll make sure you're taken care of. Well, unlike you, most people have smartphones. They can take YouTube with them. They don't have to stay at home. What are you, what are you just going to be walking around town watching YouTube? No. Have you not you're seen gonna... the way people walk around with their smartphones? That's exactly well, what they're going to do. I want people to pay attention to what we've got to say. I want you to be sitting there in a chair with a notepad and a pen in your hand. Stare at that screen and take notes. Don't multitask. Notes. Don't do other things. Take notes on what we say so you'll learn something. What sh so they should study these notes as well? Yes. There may be a test later. A quiz. Well, you know, every time you log on to one of our sponsors, you got to take a quiz. Well, we're going to institute a quiz. Every time you start listening to one of these shows, you have to answer four questions about what happened on the program last week. Or elsewise, you're not allowed to listen. That'll separate the men from the boys. All right. That'll separate us from our audience, won't it? <laughs> this is your show. All righty. Well, we're done with it, folks. We'll see you on the drive through Brian's show for part two of WrestleMania and the Raw afterwards. And until then, in the meantime and in between times, thank you, fuck you, and happy WrestleMania, everybody. Wednesday nights, I get to stay up late. Which Kenny Omega while I masturbate. Hey mom, I need to watch the show. Meltzer says I'm in the key demo. Meltzer says I'm in the key demo. Everyone should get Well, everyone Except Jim Cornette
which can he obey? God, while I masturbate, who needs women for hanging round in bars? When you can watch the bucks get seven stars, when you can watch the bucks turn seven stars, dynamite sword, best ever tag team division, haven't you heard? We've got Jerry. Wrestling heaven. Don't listen to Corgi, he hasn't been relevant since 87. He thinks that Luchasaurus can't work a lick, or that Bobby Eaton could hold a candle to either Matt or him. He wants to cut up our heroes with a rusty fishing knife, or get them in the hot tub to play Scott the Submarine with him and his wife. And no, Mom, I'm not bitter. This has nothing to do with Jim blocking me on Twitter. And now, here comes Nero. Wearing pajamas like me, he's my hero. The young bucks could shoot on Buzz Sawyer. Make Brock Lesnar take a Canadian destroyer. Don't come in, Mom. Don't come in. Are you touching yourself again? No. Did you chew the Wi-Fi password? Oh, no. When I say nights, I get to stay up late. Watch Kenny Omega while I masturbate Hey mom, I need to watch this show Elser says I'm in the key demo I am 